Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Move Pulp. Uh, it's, it's one of these uh, prestigious pulp, pulpy prestigious because we're going to be talking about The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, 2002's epic fantasy, high fantasy uh, action film directed by Peter Jackson. Of course, it's an adaptation of the original work, The Two Towers, uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, and said adapters were Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and Peter Jackson. Uh this is a commissioned podcast. Uh, Epic Mouthful uh, heard our podcast for the Fellowship of the Rings and immediately put down the money, fronted up the money immediately for the Two Towers and, and the Return of the King. So the trilogy will be complete uh, by the generosity of the Bald New fans. Um, of course, this movie stars uh, returning to the cast Elijah Woods. I'm sorry, Elijah Wood. You, just a single Wood. You're not going to run down the whole cast, are you? Because, god damn, it's a big cast. Hey, it's a big cast. Uh, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Vigo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, hmm. uh, Asterix in Briefly. there, John Reese Davies, uh, Christopher Lloyd, or Christopher Lee, <laughs> Billy Boyd. <laughs> but how much better with Christopher Lloyd would it have been? <laughs> Dominic Monaghan, uh, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Andy Serkis, and joining the cast, all new characters, mo- uh, mostly the people from Rohan, uh, Bernard Hill as King Theoden, Miranda Otto as Eowyn, uh, David Winham as uh, Faramir, Brad DeRoe as Wormtongue, and Carl Urban as uh, Eomer. I can just see him leaning out of the tower there at Isengard when the water comes and going, Great Scott! <laughs> <laughs> This is 121 gigagallons of water. <laughs> Marty, wormy, wormy. Do you know? Do you know how much water it would take to topple Orthanc, Morty? Yeah, big, uh, big Wormtongue. cast, talented cast. Wormtongue's got big Morty energy for sure. Big Morty oh, energy. Yeah. Uh, as I said, the commissioner is epic mouthful, and we'll get to her comments here in a minute. Jim, before we do, I thought I'd uh, ask you, the the notorious fantasy hater. Uh, what do you think of The Two Towers as a movie? Uh, I think The Two Towers is not quite as cohesive and good as the first movie in this trilogy, uh, Fellowship of the Ring. That's what I think. I, I had some problems with it. Um, none that like overshadow the good because, man, this movie is kind of amazing, even, even just in its scope and scale and stuff. So um, there's a lot to like about the movie. But yeah, it felt a little clunkier. Than the first one. The first one had like a really solid through line. It had like this climax that, um, it, you know, set them off on their next journey. And it, this does that too. But like along the way, the path to get there is a lot rockier than that first one. Yeah. And that's what, um, cause I watched the extended version of this movie. I'm pretty sure you watched this a theatrical one. Absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't do extended. I didn't have the time. For and it. I watched, I watched about a DVD and a half of extra features. Uh, I also listened to the director's commentary. And that's the one thing I heard from, you know, Fran and Philippa and Pete is that they just agonized over this movie because they knew they had a really strong opening and fellowship. They knew they had a really strong closing in return of the King, but you know, they had uh, in, in the structure of the original books, the two towers, it's, it's actually two miniature books put together and they deal exclusively with what's going on. One book deals exclusively with, with what's going on with Aragorn and uh, uh, Gimli and Legolas and their adventures in Rohan culminating in the Battle of Helm's Deep. And then one uh, exclusively deals with Frodo and Sam and their adventures uh, meeting uh, Faramir. 
and their climax is uh, their their battle with the giant spider, Shalab, mm-hmm. which doesn't happen until the next movie. Yeah, which is is what's a problem for Peter Jackson because number one, you're you're building up the whole movie to be like about this uh, that this this thing, uh, you know, the taking down one of the two towers, you know, or thank. Um, and you know this is like the shadow proxy battle between Sauron, Sar- Sauron and and Rohan trying to divide up the kingdoms of, of men and destroy them. Um, and you got this big battle of Helm's Deep, and you're going to intercut this with this bat- spider battle. And not only that, it's not it's chronologically a lie because you know uh, Sam and Frodo are battling the spider during the siege of Gondor in the next movie. Um, so it causes a whole bunch of problems and ripping that out suddenly gives like you already had a situation where Frodo and Sam are in transit in this plot. They were starting the voyage in the last book. They obviously will end their their journey in the next one. But you also just take away their the, the, the climax for their characters, you know, the little natural um, uh, rise and fall and resolution. So to, in their mind, this was always just a very, very difficult uh, 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 adaptation to make. Uh, once you made the decision to pull out Shalab and put it into the third movie, you know that that cleans up the hor- the Helm's Deep, but it really leaves Frodo and Sam with not much to do. Fortunately, uh, and I think that comes out because all that stuff with Faramir and Eskilith, it's like by far my least favorite and weakest parts of any of the movie. But they really punch it up because you've got yeah. one of the best. 3D characters of all time. Yeah. Uh, and will be landmark historical character a hundred years from now. Um, uh, a golem. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really like it. They, they executed him to a high degree. And that's why a lot of that's the Sam and Frodo stuff work is just on the strength of this, perf- this magical performance, but this dance between Weta workshop and uh, Andy circus. So, yeah. And then there, I think the thing that feels you know, not quite as good as the first movie is there a lot of sort of dangling threads at the end of this movie. Whereas in the first, Mm -hmm. first movie, I felt like there were only two, right? There's the journey that, uh, or or I guess three there, there was, you know, Sam and, uh, Frodo's journey, which, you know, was neatly encapsulated in like, okay, we're going to continue to Mount doom. Um, there's Mary and Pippin who have been taken by the orcs and then there's, you know, Legolas and, the, and that group, uh, Aragorn. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt like all of those were just encapsulated and kind of like all at the same place. Now you've got this thing with Aragorn that they're doing with Arwen, which I don't I don't even know what they're doing there. Um, mm-hmm. It's been almost 20 years since I've seen the first or the third movie, rather. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like there are a lot more dangling threads like that, where, like, Isengard is... I guess destroyed, but I don't know what that means for Sauron. I like, uh, I don't know what the two towers really means. Like maybe you can mm-hmm. explain it to me. Um, the, the, the movie, I don't think does a great job of explaining what the two towers are. Sure. It tries to at the beginning and it says like Saruman and Sauron together are the two towers, but they're the same thing. Like Saruman's a puppet of Sauron. So I don't understand yeah. it. Um, I think you do. It's just like the, the the problem is is there's a lot of like there's um you know, kind of low key Game of Thrones the Expanse type of complexity in some of the political games and the power games yeah, and yeah. Uh, that that Saruman and Sauron are playing in this and for that matter Gandalf Gandalf is a, a master manipulator in this movie too. Um, the problem is it's like imagine like you take the you take the Expanse books 
and you shorten them down to a 10 episode season and then someone comes around and says you know what you need to take four episodes out of here yeah uh and that's kind of like what the theatrical release of the two towers is like it's just the biggest huh. notes that you the, the, that you need to understand vaguely why the characters are where they're at and what the stakes are and, and that's I think exactly did, the understanding i come out of it with yeah vaguely and and that's that and and they they boy they just they they just nail it like um you know if you're if you get the helms deep and you don't know why things are important well they have all these insights of like women and children and old people being, uh, you know, uh, ushered to a cave and you have these enormous 10,000 strong army of orcs that's going to come and exterminate them. Yeah. And every like, time somebody says the size of the army, they go, oh, God, <laughs> like. Yeah. And then when yeah. you see it show up, it's like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, and they 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 have these amazing ways to just make you even if you haven't followed quite the machinations of yeah. like what was Wormtongue doing and the spell that was dispelled and all that uh, you, yeah, I you got know, that uh, for sure. And but, the yeah. king's grief of the sun, like all that stuff carries like all the emotional beats kind of carry you through. And even if you don't care anything about Osgiliath, and I'm kind of in that 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 uh, and Faramir in this movie. Now, Faramir really comes in his own in this, this next movie. But even if you're kind of huh. like not moved, you've got the early stuff with Frodo and Sam and Gollum slash Smeagol. Yeah. And the later stuff, like Sam just gives this very moving speech about why you fight on in the face of overwhelming evil and odds. Um, yeah. that I, I found that I found, find very powerful twenty years later, and just the sheer spectacle of it, right? That Helm's Deep battle is Jesus. insane, absolutely insane, yeah. and it's so well structured, it's so well paced. Um, you know, you you can say you can look at it from any angle and say, well, this is an epic, gr- a great epic battle. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I think there's some scenes that will hold up to the test of time, like Jason and Argonauts, the skeleton work there. It's like sixty years old. And it's kind of hokey by modern day, but it does what it's supposed to do. Like it pretty convincingly sells the story of human warriors fighting against skeletons, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know that like there are some parts of the effects in Lord of the Rings I think have already started to show 20 years of age. Yep. Um, some of the we talked about that in the. Yeah, we talked about in some of the, you know, it's like as I thought like when I watched them, like, well, this is it. Movies won't look any better, you know, just like you treat video games every release. Like, oh, this right. is there's net they they've nailed the textures this time. This is like watching television. This isn't even this is real life shit. But like the combination of the darkness and the rain, I don't know that Helms and the fact that just so much of it was literally real. Mm. Dudes wearing enormous orc costumes and shooting on these full-size sets and having a quarter-scale model looming in the background that exact distance from the camera it needs to be and it's all just getting soaked with millions of gallons of water it's always going to look real because 95 percent of it is fucking real yeah like they're real light particles bouncing off real physical objects going into the camera and being collected Uh, this is not a and this stood in such stark contrast to the prequels which, you know, there's still some shots that hold up in the prequels, but there's just a lot of stuff that just looks silly as shit already 20 years down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Helm's Deep shines like a diamond. So, like, when I say that this is not my least favorite movie of the trilogy, what I mean is Fellowship is a 10 out of 10. Return of the King is a 10 out of 10. Uh, the Two Towers is like a 9.5. Right. Um, and, and that's a miracle based sorry. on what the the story the storytelling problems that they had go yeah, ahead. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And, and all this stuff that we've been talking about like the both the problems with it and the places where it shines is kind of reflected in the awards it won um i, I was looking at this as compared to the other two films and i i in the first film i think it it was nominated for 13 awards and won like four or or six maybe um academy awards obviously 
And then this movie was only nominated for six and it only won two. And the ones that it did win were for technical things like best sound editing, best visual effects. And I, I wouldn't dispute either of those. They they absolutely earn it there. Um, sure. But, you know, stuff like best picture and best editing, they didn't win for that. And then you go back to Return of the King. Uh, you go back to the Academy Awards for Return of the King and they fucking swept it, man. 11 out of 11. They were nominated for 11, won 11. And they were all across the board, right? Not just the technical stuff, but the writing, the directing, all of it. Yeah, and I know it was widely thought in Hollywood, and I think there's something to it that the reason it swept so much is because it was almost like, hey, you stuck the landing, and this is more for like like the lifetime of the trilogy achievement. Sure, but absolutely <laughs> it is earned, for right? individual. Like, yeah, like like because it is. Yeah, like why? What was he doing so much better in this movie that he wasn't in the others? It's just more of like the stunning achievement and the fact that it made yeah. three billion dollars worldwide. Uh, I mean, this one made almost a either. billion. Like it. Yeah, it's shocking to me the the budget on this. It was only a ninety four million. It's New Zealand dollars, baby. It seems so low for what they achieved. And the fact that this was the, one of the very first times where they like did it all in kind of one massive shoot. So I, I will say that, yeah, they probably stretched that budget over the, the two movies, right? So like, I bet yeah. a lot of the, the systems they developed for creating these digital effects and, and physical effects as well were all developed and the money was spent in uh, fellowship. And then they brought that mm-hmm. over and just used those things that already developed to create this movie. So it's probably a lot cheaper from that regard. Yeah. And it was a big community effort. Like New Zealand is almost like a national mobilization to make this work and to kind of give birth to this uh, movie industry. Um, so it, yeah. it was, and like I said, I, um, a lot of the stuff I said in the first film or the, the first podcast applies here too. that. Like um, it was just, I remember what it was like to, watch this movie being made like you know we had several people were keeping visual diaries ian mckellen's the one i think of most like i was on ain't it cool news every day looking for you know uh uh, the latest leaks and what they were filming and looking at this costume this and the casting that and oh air you know the the people losing their shit about this that and the other it was just a really kind of uniquely fun time um and i'm glad i had it because like you know is is fresh off the disappointment of the prequels which um epic mouthful is going to be talking about um, do you want to talk about like maybe it's a good time to incorporate her feedback and then we can um, start talking about like this particular points in the movie. I've got a, yeah. a couple things about just the art and the storytelling and then I just kind of want to go through the wasn't it cool and this scene did this kind of uh, deal and For evaluate sure. also the big best you know, what they enjoyed last time is the t- discussion of like the differences between the books and the movies and also the differences between the uh, expanded extended editions and the theatrical mm. releases. But yeah. Uh, Epic Mouthful says, uh, hello, dear bald move cult leader, Aaron. Uh, I am beyond excited. Uh, and she put like 17 exclamation marks about this commission because I said that I was beyond excited that she had commissioned both of them. Says, I must admit that I am in the Jim Jones camp when it come, came to the Lord of the Rings. In grade school, most of my friends had read the books and swore by them. I don't know why I never got around to them. Uh, it could be have been my deep and abiding Star Wars love was getting in the way. I wasn't around for the original releases, but that didn't matter because everyone growing up was a huge Star Wars fan, and I had all the fan stuff, the comics, the bedspread, the worn-out VHS copies, probably <laughs> taped off cable, etc. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the, the ones I watched were my aunt and uncle's uh, taped off of cable television. The, 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 fir- the Empires, I, I think there were cuts that were made also that 
allowed them to fit it onto a like a normal play VHS tape. It was mm-hmm. it probably wasn't great. My first experience watching the original Star Wars, the one I remember, is uh, going to my uncle's and watching on Betamax oh. like a week or two before uh, Empire Strikes Back came out. To He's the one of those guys. Yeah, I was apparently I was taken to the theaters to watch, but I was like a year and a half old for the first Star Wars. Yeah. So Empire is the one that I, I was I, I had some actually memories about. Anyway, you can imagine, she says, my lurid disappointment when the special editions of Star Wars re- released Han shot first, period. Imagine my abject horror when Jar Jar Binks first opened his CGI mouth. <laughs> then, like the savior she needed, the first Lord of the Rings came out. Of course, even before it's released, it was all anyone could talk about. And even though I'd not read the books, I just couldn't get past, well, the same parts of Stop Jim, I think. I was 100% on board, and I fucking loved it. Movie making on a spectacular level. It wasn't the movie buff I uh, then. I wasn't the movie buff then that I am now. Uh, but even then, I recognized the art up on the screen. I think Lord of the Rings made a lot of people movie buffs. Like I, I argued yeah. in the last po- podcast, like if you were a big fan, there was an infinite amount of information you could find out about the nuts and bolts of the storytelling. And I, I, that's that was a that's big formative uh, experience for me. Like the Matrix you know, probably was that for me, but yeah, for sure. Yeah, really thinking about like how you tell stories visually and how you make this decisions by editing and music and shooting and production design, like all that stuff is mm-hmm. inherently fascinating. And when it like comes together with a project like this, I think it makes people really passionate about it. Um, I just completely it completely washed away the disgusting skid marks left behind by the Star Wars universe. More than that, going to see the Lord of the Rings films with my twin sister was one of our last mutually shared uh, quote unquote happy moments. We didn't get to stand in line and see the original Star Wars movies when they came out, but we did get to have that experience with the Lord of the Rings film. We had an air quotes, extremely traumatic, abusive childhood, and the movies may have been one of our few and maybe only shared happy and safe spaces. We loved the Lord of the Rings film and probably talked about them for hours. I'd forgotten how old these films were and how long it had been since I'd sat down and watched them and how long it's been since my twin sister and I have even spoken. And I'd forgotten that my twin sister and I had gone to see them together in that first place. After listening to your excellent podcast, your enthusiasm brought it all back and reminded me of those fantastic movies deserved a rewatch. Uh, she promptly sat down and watched The Two Towers and Return of the King. And when she was done, knew that she had to hear Bald Moves uh, takes on them. Uh, beyond the deep lore of the books, I really appreciated behind the scenes movie making and the history that you spoke to as well. I'm a sucker for all the extra details. And listening to your podcast of the first movie was like falling down a rabbit hole. A fun one. Uh, is there non-fun rabbit holes you can fall down? I guess, I guess so. Yeah. But you know, I was thinking rabbit holes like, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. Alice in Wonderland. More than that, I've been incredibly fortunate during this pandemic, not only to have and keep my job, but to find a new and better paying one in the middle of it. I've Mm -hmm. been waiting or wanting to donate to bald move in some way to give back for all that you have done for the bald move community. My new job has made that possible. What better way to give back to bald move than to commission something that I, and I believe the community has wanted anyway. Uh, so there you go. She says she will consider whenever these are complete to be her own personal birthday slash Halloween slash Christmas present to herself for the year. And, uh, yeah, I hope you get, I hope these are the wonderful treat you're hoping for them. I'm going to do my part to, to make it, to make it happen up Epic mouthful. So everybody thanks to Epic mouthful for making this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to tie, I kind of have these things broken into like art and storytelling. And then again, the best scenes, I want to talk about the art stuff first. Um, Gollum like can we talk about what a triumph of technology and 
artistry that this is like i'll let you go first just just so i don't run run the fucking tables here (laughs) i mean this was even to someone who wasn't you know following the the actor's diaries and the the filmmaking uh aspect of this this was something that interested me from the jump before this movie came out right because everybody was talking about the the tech used and it's just cool um even if you're not a fan of like fantasy films all this tech was so new. It, this is 2002. This is 18 years ago that this stuff was being done. Uh, you know, before that even, because um, these were kind of made in tandem here. Um, the, the first two movies. And yeah, it, it was just a really, really cool thing to see. Like the, the, I, it, it was, it was like that virtual reality thing too, because, you know, he's got, you got the visors where you can put those on and see Gollum in real time mm-hmm. as you're looking mm-hmm. at Andy circus and, like, you know, VR is was kind of a stupid thing back then, but that intrigued me. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I, I still like watching this. I'm still thoroughly impressed with the visual effects that they were able to pull off with technology that didn't exist at the time. Yeah, and there's so many like can like Gollum's one of the more well illustrated things amongst the Tolkien, you know, best bestiary. Uh You've seen him in animated films. You've seen him in countless books and paintings. Uh, and it's always a challenge because Gollum has to be frightening and scary and convincingly evil. Yeah. But you also really need him to be pathetic and sympathetic. Uh, and it's really hard to nail those those two you know qualities of threatening, but also a little bit of wooby. So where you can you know the 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 empathy engine kind of connects and and the rest of the character works. And I I can't say enough. Like, I think they nail him. He does look yeah. like it's one of those things where it's like, it's just like they say in the movie, like your first reaction is disgust and, the, the, to, and revulsion because he's got these stringy hair, these rotted teeth and his nails are immense. He's covered in scars and he's twisted. And he's got these burly Popeye arms. It's like trying to twist the, the hobbit's heads off. But yeah, then he, he can't just look like a dude in a suit, right? That, that ruins no. it. Like the orcs, that's fine. They can look like dudes in suits, but right. not going right. Um, but the way they did it with especially the eyes, I think you can see the Hobbit he once was twisted and, and evil within that. Um, yeah. It's just kind of like it's it's um, it's wild because it's almost like imagine if Darth Vader was Darth Vader, but he had to play with his helmet off the whole time because mm-hmm. that's what Gollum is. He's that very frightening, menacing thing, but he's also revealing his 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 scars and and the things that that, that make him empathetic as well. And I got to say, like, you mentioned how what an accomplishment this thing was. Um, And in other movies where like actors are relating to like a tennis ball on a stick. Yeah. They had Andy Serkis in this crazy looking white cream colored gimp suit Mm -hmm. acting all of this with Elijah Woods and Sean Astin. Just one. And like. But yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I keep on wanting to give him more than one Woods. So I'm, I'm giving him Fangorn and the other one. Um, but Andy Circus, like when you see Gollum throttling Frodo in those first scenes, that's Andy Circus's hands wrapped around Elijah's Woods' throat, and they just digitally painted Gollum's over it. When you see Gollum splashing in this river after a fish, the individual splashes are actually Andy Circus's body. Uh, making those splashes, the scene where he calls Sam a uh, fat hobbit and go- and gives the raspberries, that spittle flying out of Gollum's mouth is Andy Serkis's spit. Yeah. Um. 
And I don't think this movie and the character works nearly as well without. And the thing is also like, I don't think people realize how much of Andy Serkis's performance is actually in this movie. Yeah. Watching um, the behind the scenes stuff is kind of amazing. Cause you see him hopping around like Gollum and it is, he is Gollum. Like they're, they're yeah, one and the same. And the, the facial expressions, the gestures, like the stuff that he's coming up and the animators are just uh, lightly embellishing. And, and there's this one that they made for his like Oscar. Cause they tried to get this guy, uh, a, a supporting actor a nomination. Uh, the the yeah. your your uh, consideration is a shot by shot comparison of that uh, sequence where Gollum and Smeagol are having a fight for the supremacy of his soul. Yeah, and uh, Andy Serkis did that in one take, just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it's incredible to see how he can contort his body and his face and his expressions, and it's just like all there in the camera. The last shot in the movie. You don't really notice it, but it's a two and a half minute long single tracking shot of Andy of, of Gollum moving through mm. the forest. And, you know, like, I don't know why this isn't mentioned in one of the great oneies, because not only is it just, you know, moving through this forest and, and getting all the things. Not only is it synchronizing with Andy Serkis's original performance on the set, they had to also recreate it in like their green screen rooms later and synchronize all that shit up. And the most striking thing about it is it's a two and a half minute long uh, shot in broad daylight where you just look at his animated character and like Peter Jackson is like daring you to find the flaw with it. Yeah. Like, and it's multiple scales of miniatures too. Like I, I saw all these forests they were doing. It's, it's yeah, it's incredible. And th- this character doesn't work as a, a pure CG thing. Like, cause you don't yeah. get the emotiveness. You don't get the, the feeling from it, right? The, the feeling that this is a real character in a real space I think like the work they did to mesh the performance with the tech side of this and get all that on screen is I'm thinking of, okay, stuff like uh, episode one, you know, of Star Wars. Um, You start to approach something like that with Ahmed best performance uh, of Mm -hmm. Jar Jar. Like that that feels like a real character. It's a stupid one. It's a shitty character, but it's also feels kind of like a real character. Uh But this Uh is even light years beyond that. In my opinion, this doesn't feel like, a dude in a suit could have been doing this stuff. This feels like you had a real creature on set that was just freaking out and hopping around and smashing things and eating things. And I don't know what the difference is there. Like, I don't know the technologies they used on episode one to get on my best performance. I know, you know, it was that tennis ball stuff, right? It was like, on was, best uh, on I'm stilts. on best. <laughs> Wear, wearing a like a hat with a, just an enormous one foot tall yeah. Jar Jar head, head on a it. A big yeah. stupid Jar Jar head. Like this is this is next level um, for 2002 yeah. and and probably, you know, 2000 or something when they were shooting this. And there's a couple like I, I think some of the scenes uh, in the daytime, uh, I can already see a little bit of the compositing. But like there's some yeah. like that that showpiece scene where he is having the split personality argument with himself in the middle of the night. Like, I don't know that that will ever look fake because like it's 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 kind of like the original Toy Story. If you want to make something look real, make it a shiny plastic toy because that hides all same thing. Like, you know, uh, this 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 shot in the moonlight and cutting back and forth insane close ups like it's. You know, um, it's it's going to age like Yoda. Like Yoda doesn't look fake in The Empire Strikes Back because he wasn't fake. Yeah, yeah he's a puppet, but he's actually there in the set. You know, uh-huh. um, and and I, I think that the uh, you, you you every once in a while you have these kind of magical 
performances and i think andy circus is every bit as good as like frank oz with yoda if 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 not even better and the other thing is like andy circus did a lot of homework and studied um like you can see a lot of like um boris karloff's frankenstein and the mummy uh like especially the early work when um Sam and Frodo have got the elvish rope and it's burning him and he's like, you know, grabbing at his throat and doing this kind of ah, that's like right out of uh, Borlas Karloff's The Mummy. And it it's just just all of his instincts for doing Gollum and the voice, like the fact that he did. He was only supposed to really show up and he was paid to show up and do the voice. And then he was so animated and like using his whole body in the performance in the booth like for his. They're like, wow, we need to get this guy. And he ended up being essentially Gollum. Yeah. You know, Gollum and a, and a couple dozen or you know, Andy Serkis, and a couple dozen animators collaborated to make this guy. And it's amazing. And what's really amazing is if Gollum didn't exist, all we'd be talking about is Treebeard <laughs> and how <laughs> You're utterly right. convincing he is, because yeah. this guy and he's a he's he's an he's an enormous animatronic puppet. Dude, that was so cool. He's, I watched the the behind the scenes. I couldn't believe how cool that was to see Treebeard and you know six guys on different levers like moving his arms. It, so amazing. and it reminded me a lot of the passion that brought like Jabba the Hutt to life because like that yeah. was another thing where it's like it took like seven dudes. I had one dude in his tongue and one guy was one arm and one guy was the other and he had two guys on his eyes and mm-hmm. it, the tail and you, you, like when that I, and you said like what is the technology was the difference between Jar Jar Binks and Gollum and I think it's passion. Yeah. Um, one yeah. of the things that came out um, is that one like two and a half minute tracking shot I talked about at the end of this movie where it's just you're you're looking at Gollum caper through this woods and plot evil. Peter Jackson said that was the first scene he delivered to Weta because he knew it's like this is going to be huh. a pain in the ass. And it was the last shot they delivered to him. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So it stretched uh, the whole production essentially. It, it took nearly three years to bring that two and a half minutes of of uh, thing to life, and it was like a it was a moonshot, and he trusted his guys to get it right. He in the, the director's commentary is like, you know, I was really worried about the int because some of these characters, like you you read about the trolls and the orcs and the elves, everything looks really cool, but you're like, what does a fucking man tree look like? And you, you you see some of I remember being disappointed when I go to like the various Tolkien visual dictionaries and whatnot. And some of these are just illustrated and like they don't look cool, man. Um, but they he gave this one artist and he came back and he, the guy just essentially nailed what Treebeard wor- looked like in, in one shot. And uh, it's 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 great because um, I, I remember that was one of my fir- personal favorite scenes in the book. The the ints all getting pissed off and storming mm. Orthanc because, you know, you you kind of were like up for it. Like the idea, like these 30, 40 tree men are just going to come in here and wreck house. But the way that Tolkien built up the um, the narration where it's like these guys are all slow and style. They're just kind of workman like going to work, just like breaking down the walls and stomping on orcs. But then, like, and the, 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 the he describes of like the orcs with the axes, and it's just like these are just like huge men swatting gnats. They're not even. They're just yeah. they're just going to work. But then one of the orcs sets one of the other tree the the ints on fire. And then there's this one sentence paragraph of and then the ints got positively hasty. <laughs> and it's just this incredible scene of like Mary and Pippin uh, watching like they just it, it, it's really describe it. it's like um like like have you ever seen like a, a tree over the course of 150 years pulverize a rock 
because that's like, you know, the rock is strong, but those roots have 150 years to like squeeze and grow. And I and they described as like the ints hands touching rock wall and that 150 years of work being done in a second. Like the, the 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 rock just explodes because they have so much power and they're so fucking pissed off that they're just in this like this berserker rage. And I love how they're able to do all that with these all these ints look so much different. And they all have these yeah. individual personalities, everything the tree bird's been saying this whole movie. And now they're out there kicking ass and it's terrifying. And it captured that epic intensity from um, me reading in, in the books. Um and also, like they they tell a story of like you know these these guys are kind of s- dull and sure. stolid and pedantic and slow and frustrating, especially to these these you know these guys live for thousands of years and millennia, and they're dealing with hobbits that you know a long lived one lives 111. It's 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 all great stuff. And again, no one really talks about it because Gollum is that much more. <laughs> yeah, yeah fucking amazing as a character. And that's the thing you talk about the passion involved here from you know everyone. Um, obviously but you know it's it's all focused kind of around peter jackson who of course is the impetus for this whole thing i would say and every time he's on screen and the behind the scenes stuff you can feel that passion coming through right and it's like he's just got his eye on every detail he feels lord of the rings in his blood um and he's putting he's that all bursting on screen. bursting with energy and, and enthusiasm and optimism everywhere he goes like it's like a, a beacon of light on the set set you know yeah and, and unwilling this, 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 to 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 give anything else than than the exact vision of lord of the rings that he has and and it doesn't mm-hmm. come across as like you know that domineering sort of director thing that sometimes auteurs can do right where they've got this vision and god damn it everybody else is going to fall in line behind him or else it comes across as like this genuine group effort where he has inspired everyone underneath him uh, everyone yeah. else working on this film to the same levels of passion that he has for the, the material. Yeah. Thousands of artists working their very best together over the work of three years. And he's the one and not because of drudgery or because it's the, but because he, yeah, he's, he's inspired him. Like you said. Mm-hmm. So in the last movie, we talked a lot about the design, the production design of like the elves and like Aragorn's ranger look and, and the, the dwarves and some of the other stuff, the individual armor and how cool and different looking the various elves domiciles looked um for my money the writers of rohan are the ultimate in like character design i i think these guys look so fucking cool these these like um vikings crossed with like mongol steppe people um just like like all their culture goes around revering horses and it's worked into their armor into the embellishments of their buildings uh, and their sword hilts, like everything about this stuff feels so solid. And, you know, I, like it, it brought the thing that was happening to comics already where it's like, OK, yeah, Wolverine looks cool and and blue and and yellow and, and yellow tights in the comic books. But when in the movies, he really needs to be wearing like some kind of leather armor or something or it looks dumb. Sure. Like this is you you compare the work here to like Excalibur where everything's like this highly, highly polished and stylized metal. This just feels like, yeah, this is what like Ro, like the, the Rohirrim would wear. These feels like mm-hmm. the weapons they'd use to fight um, the way the, you know, they had expert horsemen actually going out there and shooting these real scenes um, yeah. in, in real locations uh, really, really sell the action. And 
Um, like I said, of all the good guy designs, I think Ro- the Rohan, the Rohan are my favorite, like even more than the Gondorians, um, certainly any more than the elves, which are cool, but a little bit too blade of grass and, and twig for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, co- I'm super cool. I think their armor is, is kind of amazing. It has like gold, uh, tint to it. Um, the thing that impressed me most about them though, was the city. What, what's the name of that city up on that? rock on that hill uh eteris eteris the capital uh, city yeah yeah that is just a fantastic set and it's something that they really built um if you look at the behind the scenes stuff they were filming on location in that city that they constructed from scratch much like hobbiton right mm-hmm. um they 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 don't have to do a lot of visual trickery here because they have the real place and and every actor uh, and every effects artist and stuff you you see talking about the place is like I just I had a hard time doing my job there because it's so beautiful you look out across the the plains there and then you just see these snow-capped mountains while you're working away on like thatching a roof or whatever and these craftsmen are just blown away by the beauty of it before the thing's constructed and then to be in that place filming must have been just incredible and you get so many gifts by having locations right there because I guess that place was windy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the extent that like it was kind of dangerous to like you know do construction and stuff during some of the seasons. But like that shot of Miranda Otto running out into the you know porch of the King's Lodge and kind of mm-hmm. looking out after she is at her lowest point and her hair is whipping around and her her dress is whipping around her body and this banner just tears off and goes flying like peter jackson said in the comments like we thought for sure we'd have to rig that to a wire or do something yeah. but we thought hey, you know let's let's try it like we just rigged it to the the rip obviously release but like that's a real banner that just gets taken by the wind and takes like like I, if i had directed the fucking banner myself i couldn't have gotten a better performance out of it and you just get that for free when you do things yeah. real, you know? That's the thing, like, you know, building the mountains and compositing that in and, and matching the, you know, performance with the digital effects. All of that's like a million dollar shot right there. And you get it yeah. for the cost of building that town, plus the many, many other shots you get there. And there's also that's a lot of glue. Like, it's it's true that that's a real set, but like they also embellish like the middle rings, like, you know, like the the, the walls and some of the buildings on the lower levels are CG. Mm, but yeah. what your eye is focusing on is the center. And Peter Jackson knows that. And that's all real. So everything that radiates out from that, that kind of eases the compositing and uh, is, is just always going to look that much realer because the central thing it's built on. You know, like there's we're going to talk about Helm's Deep where like you've got some shots that are like four or five different scales of things all shot together and mo-capped yeah. and 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 electronically camera followed. And you'll never know it because, again, most of the stuff is real. So I thought that's amazing. And the way they see like because the first movie really coasted on that realness, like most of the shots outside were really they're they're out there and in, in New Zealand, which is a good stand in for Middle Earth. I was actually amazed at how much of especially Frodo and Sam stuff was just studio and like parking lot. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, all the stuff in Fangorn Forest was various. And they didn't even have that's the things they don't have movie studios in New Zealand at the time. They were looking at like grocery warehouses <laughs> and like automotive parts manufacturing facilities. Any and things. big open like, space. Hey, I need a hundred square feet of climate controlled shit. Where do I get it? Oh, it's here. And then he's built these forests out of it. Um, yeah. 
and they they and, and like the dead marsh. I thought sure that they just went out in the marsh and filmed that. That's a flooded parking lot uh, right by the the largest airport in Wellington. And I guess like huh. all of their audio was useless because <laughs> the planes the, taking off and <laughs> yeah, the planes taking off. And she uh, the, the Peter Jackson joked. It's like we kind of thought like could we get away with uh, letting the seven forty sevens be the fell beasts because there's in disguise so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> You could just like, hey, they're the fell beasts. What are you going to do? Yeah, just paint a couple um, dots on them and then CG in some uh, fell beasts. Yeah, but man, they get they just nail the lighting, and when they and they, they and they do this like so they composite the that stuff with a couple of helicopter shots of establishing things that kind of sort of look like that in in middle in in uh, New Zealand, yeah. and again, it just it 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 the the fact that everything else is so real, you don't look too hard at the seams of the stuff that's not. Um, and then, then you know the thing. The other thing about this movie, uh, the the one that I really remember popping out at me is the the segment they did on these things, what they call bigatures, you know, which is miniatures only yeah. large, like both of the towers, Barad Dur, the the dark tower that Sar- Sauron lives in, and Orthanc, the tower that Saruman live in. Those are like twenty five foot tall resin casts that artists have chiseled down to like individual like windows that have railings and torches and they can be lit with inside with led lighting and they can flicker. And what that allows you to do is take a camera like this micro camera and just swoop up and pan and you can get like, you know, an inch away and it looks utterly convincing and real because it's again, not a real tower, but it's so huge and has so much detail. I got to see both of these things at the, the Lord of the Rings exhibit that I went to at the Indiana state museum. And they're just nice. super fucking impressive, man. Um, and Helm's deep, they actually built a one quarter scale Helm's deep just to do like the, 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 to have the little, um, massive Weta miniatures running around in, but Peter Jackson had that flown out to the quarry set and set up in the background. So again, like I was saying, uh, they put it right at the scale distance. It should be in the background. And there you go. You don't have to composite anything. You just, just turn off the lights, dump a bunch of water, fire up the cameras and you got fucking Helm's Deep. Yeah, because they, um, they only built a few chunks of, of Helm Deep, Helm's Deep at full scale, right? Um, like that yeah, ramp yeah, yeah. is one of them because they needed horses mm-hmm. to go up it and they were going to do some shots specific. Uh, like a little bit of the keep and that yeah. big wall. Right with the with the ditch in it, yeah, and then everything and else, all that is stuff, various scales of miniatures composited in, or or sometimes, like you said, literally placed there. Yeah, and like all those walls were literally just styrofoam um, that they spray yeah. paint gray, and then like dudes with a hammer would just take. It's like he's like, it's incredible. Like if you just swing a hammer at that, they wear just like rock, uh-huh. and it's super lightweight, and you can you know like you don't have to worry about it falling over on somebody. Um, you would think like, you know, when you when you hear stuff like that, like, oh, this thing's going to be made out of foam. You think it's going to look fake as hell. But again, in in the lighting conditions they use, uh, it looks utterly, utterly convincing and real. What, one uh, of the other things, you know, that they obviously do in Lord of the Rings around uh, the Hobbits is they they make things they make people look miniature. Right. Um, in larger scale worlds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think this movie doesn't have as much of that because a lot of the hobbits mm-hmm. are separated off by themselves and they don't interact a ton with characters that are a, not digital or B much bigger than them. Um, right. And, and some of the, the edges of that show a little bit more. And I don't know why than the first movie, like a lot of the Mary Pippin stuff, um, like when they're in the battles, uh, like when the orcs are attacked and 
it's it's kind of cool. They run under this horse, which looks enormous in the shot, mm-hmm. and it makes mm-hmm. them look small. And I don't I don't know how exactly they did that, but that's one of the examples that looks good. But there's some others where I'm just like, they've clearly been composited into this shot, like Sam and Frodo mm-hmm. in that cave. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't quite look right, and I never felt that in the first movie. I don't know what's different here. If they just didn't need to focus on it as much, so they didn't. They focus their attention it might elsewhere. Have been the lighting too, like could like be the, lighting. The, the the that weird twilight filtered through water lighting, uh, dancing yeah. around might have been harder to get. Like it's something your eye, you know, like like if if you're on that set, you'll know that the light is scattered in a certain way, and it's all kind of moving and are trying to match that movements to what's going on with, and it's just probably yeah. just a little off. But I noticed I noticed the same thing, um, and yet like that scene where you know Gollum is bashing the fish against and singing little songs to himself, like that's some of the best like Gollum that looks because the, that that yeah. particular lighting conditions suits him well. But yeah, no, I, I definitely um, you know the movie is twenty years old, and there's some things that look a little little uh-huh. bit creaky, but just a little yeah. bit like stuff that doesn't really yeah. take me out of it. I just notice. Uh, as far as storytelling, uh, I want to get to like the meat, which is like the 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 difficulty they had in adapting this work. But um, I noticed that like the studio in the first movie really fought Peter Jackson on doing a prologue. You know that ten minute like Kate Blanchett that did so much heavy lifting narratively that we talked about so much. Yeah, told us about Sauron. They hated it. They didn't want it. And then. On the second movie, they fought Peter. That's like, well, we need a five minute recap. What if someone didn't see the first movie? And he he's like, this is like a big flop your dick out on the table moment. But I guess he literally said, like, fellas, this movie made a billion dollars. Everyone's seen this movie. It's less than a year ago. We uh-huh. don't want to bore people with 10 minutes of yada, yada, yada. But as a compromise position, and they had, I guess, this beautiful p- uh, painting that John Howe did for them. They visualize this battle of um, Sar- uh, uh, Gandalf versus the Balrog. Mm-hmm. They decided to put that as degree. Like, is, it, that is like it, it grounds you in like what happened last time. Oh, yeah. Gandalf died and that was a bad deal. But like, it's also something that like I didn't know I wanted to see. Like Gandalf skydiving after his Balrog, catching up with it and kicking its ass up and down and through Middle Earth mm-hmm. is just that 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 I just love it, man. There's something I never thought that would work. Like what this like what is this old ass man crawling all over this thing and like stabbing it? Every, it feels like something out of uh, Shadows of the Colossus, right? For Which, sure. by the way, fucking works. Like, uh, and I, I just, I think those scenes are great. The the shot of it, especially the, the, the really isolated long distance shot of Gandalf and him falling like Lucifer out of heaven into whatever the frozen lake of the middle of middle earth is my God, what an amazing shot. What an amazing fantasy shot. I think it works so well because it's not just a recap, right? It's not like shots from the first movie recut to tell us the story it's like new material that is really fucking cool but also it recaps and lets us know where we're sitting right now in the story yeah um and it also sets up perfectly uh how do you tell the story of gandalf coming back to life and what does that look like and i've never really thought about it until i sat down to to watch this movie and listen to the director's cut but like I just took it for granted that, yeah, Gandalf dying would look like a naked guy dying in snow. And then you'd go through this like this cosmos uh, journey and then it would be him naked uh, taking his first breath. Like, OK, sure. You know, it it feels right. Uh-huh. Um, 
the other thing I thought they did really good, I want to check with you, is like, I thought they sold this this rivalry between the Uruk High and the Mordor Orcs. Like, even if you didn't know what was going on, like, they're visually different enough and culturally different that you kind of yeah. bought that they would have problems, you know? And yeah, have, when and they tag, were wanting like, to eat the hobbits, for sure. Um, I felt that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they, they did, like, you know, it's like that's something that they didn't really explain that like well these are the Sauron's guys and they're different than Sauron's guys and or Saruman's guys and uh but I thought they did that really good um and then I I don't know how much we need to talk about this because I felt like we did it a lot already but like it's just this is just the the, the middle part of the story um that Tolkien got around this by making it two separate books like you got the adventures of Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn and it climaxes in Helm's Deep and you got the adventures of Sam and and Frodo trying to get to the gates of Mordor and it climaxes in this gigantic spider fight uh where Sam comes into as a hero in his own and they can't do that because they got the one movie, you know, <laughs> fuck, we got to right. blend these all and you got to tell. And and I do think that like there's a couple points where they said like there's a couple points where they talked about like Aragorn's fake out death. Mm-hmm. But like and and uh, Faramir kind of like being a little bit more seduced by the ring than he ever is in the book, because in the book, he just pretty much like takes Frodo's story at, 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 at face value and helps him get along to the next thing stage in the thing and wishes huh. him well. Like Faramir's just a stand up guy. They kept on saying these things like try to imagine the movie if we didn't make these decisions, which is essentially always to add conflict. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Aragorn needs to have a love triangle to like make the stakes of his relationship with Arwen work. He needs to have a near death experience to give him this, Hmm. this uh, shot in the arm to like, you know, really commit to his path as being, you know, as, as taking up the mantle of the King and inspiring man. And, you know, uh, uh, Frodo needs to struggle against something other than just Gollum and his own nature, the ring. There has to be an antagonist or else it's just Faramir, like schlepping him from one place to another. And like, I don't, know that I agree like I I agree like definitely taking Shalab out and moving it to the next movie like I don't know how the hell you cut back and forth between Helm's Deep and the spider fight like you know they don't really complement each other and they they're not chronologically the same so you have to do Hmm. that but all these other decisions I'm not I don't know especially like the Arwen and Eowyn stuff like yeah that's stuff I didn't give a shit about it's like two Mm -hmm. two and a half minutes of this movie um and yeah. and I'm not buying the love triangle part either. Like a single conversation and a couple of glances does not a relationship make. And I I didn't feel like it doesn't it does not a romance make. Um, yeah. Like okay, they respect each other. Are like, but he's got an interest, right? Um, yeah. In Arwen, so I don't I don't I don't really know what they're trying to do. I assume a lot of this is setting up stuff that's that has to happen because right. it happens later uh, in return of the King. The so. thing is, is like they had to do some stuff with our, uh, a, a, a um, because the stuff about her being like, uh, you know, this is like, Cer- this is Cersei Lannister story. Like she's the daughter of a King 
uh, daughter of kings, and but not an accident of her birth, she would be riding a horse with a spear in one hand and a shield in the other, and she'd be defending. Uh, and she's she's trained for this, and she's like, I also love that throwaway line, not throwaway, that that foundational line of like, you know, our women learned long ago that you don't have to carry a sword to die upon one. So like their whole, they got this war, woman woman warrior culture that they sell throughout the movie. You have to get that stuff, but like her just kind of loving Aragorn did not like, and they did so much of that stuff really well, but the, the shoehorn love thing, um, I just, yeah. there, and there's another 10 minutes in the extended version to kind of bolster that and, and, and give that a little bit more space to breathe, but it just okay. never, I don't know. It, it Does never, it go anywhere? It never I felt, I don't remember return of the King well enough to remember if they that kind goes of set anywhere. up. Yeah. And even in the book, they kind of matchy match Faramir and, uh, Eowyn together. Um, so okay. like having her kind of, but like, again, that's an old fuddy duddy, you know, method of storytelling that like, uh, well, Yoan got what she wanted and she's able to literally kill the second most evil, powerful thing on, on the middle earth through her pluck and grit and loyalty and courage. But you know what she really needs? A man. She needs a man. Oh yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty creaky. And unfortunately, um, I so they decided to make Faramir's character who I just don't particularly I think this guy's very like they cast him almost entirely because he looks like Sean Bean a little bit yeah but he's just a much more muted palette of Sean Bean which kind of works because he is in the shadow of his older brother um but is it interesting to watch like okay it, 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 it makes sense but is it fun to watch and i yeah and 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 in his his arc in the third movie is all about his wrestling with his duty to his you know he's got a, a city that's teetering on the brink of ruin and a father that's teetering on the the edge of insanity and they've got a real kind of jamie lannister ned stark of like you know what does it mean to be honorable and courageous and what does it mean what does duty and loyalty mean in these trying times. And I thought like, instead of having him kind of like being addicted, you know, like, like um, infected with the ring lust in the same way that like Boromir was, if he had just like struggled with like the, well, my heart's telling me the one thing, but my dude is trying to tell me the other and just kind of like torn between those two rather than like, Oh, this is my time to shine. This is my time to impress daddy with my qualities. I thought it would have worked better and, and dovetailed more nicely into um, his story in the return of the king. And uh, hmm. it's just, it's just too bad. Cause Faramir is one of my favorite characters in the books. Cause he's just like, uh, he's just a better version of Boromir, you know, yeah. by being a worse version of Boromir. Does that make sense? It reminds me of like Gattaca, right? You've got the perfect golden son okay. who kind of underachieves and the, the son that didn't have all the advantages and that has to constantly work for approval and stuff and actually surpasses the golden child. Yeah. Um, that's kind of Faramir's story, and I, I feel like it just doesn't shine through in this a- adaptation. And he's more of a prick, honestly. For and then has a sudden change of heart because of Sam's epic speech he delivers at the at the end of the movie. Yeah, that did feel a little weird. You know, Sam delivers a speech so epic that it causes the guy to forfeit his life in in you know further of their cause. Fun, funny to me, not like oh yeah. uh, heart swelling. But but then they're also doing the same thing with both. Boromir and Faramir and uh, Frodo in this movie, right? And I think it's it's super interesting and it's cool and you got to do it with Frodo because it's one thing to have like a Boromir who wants the ring, who needs, who like gets seduced by the possibility of having the ring. It's an entirely different thing to have someone who already has the ring potentially being seduced by its powers um, 
and and corrupted by it because at any moment he could just take it off the the necklace and he could put it around his finger and game over right yeah he doesn't he doesn't have to go search it down he doesn't have to find it and kill the person with it like Gollum wants to he's got it um so it's more dangerous and I, I feel like that part of the Frodo story really works for me yeah um and the the commonality the, the, there's a couple scenes where we go through the extra scenes really sell that kind of um the duality that the film's trying to show that like uh, uh there but for the grace of Eru uh <laughs> goes Frodo as far as like Frodo will literally if he keeps the ring turn into Gollum yeah um and and that uh it, it's like a really leaning into that almost addiction uh, storyline where like Sam's the 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 loved one that sees his friend slipping away and tries to always call him back to his better self and um and the the one guy who's like helpless before this thing's power it's, it's all that stuff all really really works well it, okay um, so explain this to me because I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure on what the effects of putting on the ring would be I I can't tell like is he being seduced to hand the ring over to the Nazgul is he being seduced to put the ring on so they can find him and then take the ring from him. What What is the ring seducing him with? Is it just its power? Like, if he puts the ring on, he could become the most powerful being in the realm or whatever? Yeah, that's what... Um, so it's tough because Peter Jackson's kind of tweaked it a little bit in the movie. But, like, yeah, you're supposed to understand that, like, the... Um, like what if you put this on you instantly start to get delusions of grandeur about what uh you can you can be and do like there's a scene in the book where sam puts on the ring and in his narration he can see himself like ruling the earth as this master gardener because that's like (laughs) what his delusion of grandeur which is one of the reasons why sam is more resourceful like was, was able to resist the call of the ring but like and 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 that's a way of like um, it's very clever because it's a way of like cursing the the ring bearer um, and like so like if a powerful man or an elf would get this soon he would just start to dominate because he's like you know in, he feels like he's unstoppable that would make him a larger target like like you don't hide from you don't hide the weapon from Sauron is what I'm trying to say like this ring is so powerful and it fills your heads with so much delusions of what you can do that like it's very easy if Sauron loses it all he has to do is wait for someone to find it become this massive warlord and then he knows where to go and and, and kill him hmm. um so like when Frodo Frodo it's it's always it's always like whispering in your ears like this situation would be a lot easier if you just put me on and one of the reasons it's been able to be hidden for so long is because it fell into the hands of a hobbit, which are naturally kind of meek, passive creatures. And Gollum decided to withdraw from uh, the world instead of like trying to conquer it. Um, because, they, they don't yeah. make that super clear, I, I think. Like they, they have a vague uh, calling around the ring. But, it, yeah. it, you know, and there are times in the first movie where it literally, I think, speaks to people, right? Like it does. You yeah. can hear it mm-hmm. speaking whatever language it speaks the, the black speech yeah in this they've kind of dropped that entirely and and there's this vague sense that frodo is somehow being pulled by the power of this ring but they, they don't make it explicit that like is it yeah. him just like considering the possibilities that he's seen when he's had the ring on is it is it like a, a metaphysical like pull from Sorry, yeah, like, like what the, is the, it? the ring wants to be found, and like if you put it on, like it suddenly turns you into a psychic beacon for the the Nazgul, and you, they, you know, like now they can because they're like these beings that are half torn between the shadow realm and the real world, and they see 
the you, you know when you see what when when Frodo puts on a ring, you see how they see like the world is very washed yeah. out and muted and 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 lifeless and colorless, but like. Frodo shines like a beacon because mm-hmm. now he's got this thing that's putting him into the ring wraith world. So like the ring wants to be found. So if it can have some put it on and like shine that beacon and, and when, you know, it hears that's the call of its master and its master servants, that becomes like an overwhelming urge uh, because you're fearful and you can hide, you can disappear with this ring on, but it's like, um, there are several I, times where he's like petting it while he's like half asleep. And, and I can't tell, Maybe I wasn't listening at high enough volume. Did they insert the ring speaking to him? Because I feel like that would have helped significantly. Just yeah, it could be doing what they did in but there, the first. I think chapter. The, the you're supposed to understand that, like um, in the first movie, the way that um, after fifty, sixty years, uh, Bilbo had started to call it my precious. Yeah, that be, and and Bilbo hardly ever wore the ring. It was right. kind of a curiosity that he kept around. Frodo wearing it this long and having it around his neck has like rapidly accelerated um, the effects. And there's there's actually some deleted scenes where they they were going to show like a uh, Frodo having a premonition of himself turning in the golem yeah. where they're going to give him the Andy circus treatment, like have his hair falling out and his teeth falling out. And there's some pretty horrific shots of Elijah Wood half <laughs> golem fied if you want to search for him. Nice. Um, but they were because I think that's something Peter Jackson. I, I, I got in the director's commentary is like they felt in this movie that they didn't make all this stuff quite clear, but they tried to sell it on like, you know, like that visual of Frodo offering himself to the fell beast. And like, it's almost ready to snatch him in the, before Sam comes and saves him. It's a hell of a shot. It looks like a pre-Raphaelite painting, you know? Uh, so if you, if you can't get yeah. the metaphysics nailed, go for broke on the visuals, I guess is the, the philosophy there. Yeah. Coming out of the first movie, I thought it was more just like you were seduced by the ring when you, when you put it on, not that, Oh, if you have this hanging around your neck, you'll constantly be seduced. But they did disavow me of that through the course of this movie. Um, yeah. But maybe in in little a uh, little too vague of terms. I think it's kind of like it's just like um, you know trying to uh, put it into a Chernobyl kind of context. It's kind of like uh, the difference between having a piece of the reactor core kind of around, like uh, around your neck, which is bad, versus like ch- swallowing it. You know, sure. it's like when you put it on, it's like it's like it's a concentrated dose of what you're always getting as a, as as a corrupting influence. The, the the closer it is to you, and 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 that's the fact that like yeah, the servants of the the enemy are are calling to it, and it's calling to them. That's that's make you know fucking Bilbo never to put up with that shit. Um, okay, so, while I'm asking dumb simplistic questions about Lord of the Rings, can I ask you about the two towers? Because we you you please. mentioned them earlier. Um, they they both have names like there's the eye of sauron on one tower right mhm that's baradur the black tower this the 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 home base of of Sar- sauron is but being reconstructed there is also another physical tower the one that the uh-huh. ints destroy yep uh well they don't destroy it cuz okay. it's indestructible but oh yeah or well they they destroy um, everything below it yeah so the, the the backstory of this is uh orthanc there used to be these the, a collection of these towers that this Gondor empire, this, this, um, you know, like, like imagine that Gondor at its height was Rome. And now you're dealing with like the, the, the remains of the outer outposts of that empire, like Gaul and Britannia and all that stuff. Like, you know, it's like still recognizably, you got the ruins of the great civilization, but they've lost a lot of what made them great, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, in in the old Roman times, they had these, these, these seeing stones, the Palantirs that you saw that, uh, Saruman is communicating with Sauron, um, yeah. because they, 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 
there's a whole backstory to these these Gondorian Gondorians. Um, but they used to have uh, these magical stones that they allowed to have near instantaneous communication with each other, and they built these 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 towers essentially to protect them. One by one, uh, Sauron is able to take them over, and then they were no longer safe to use because if you use any one seeing stone with the enemy having it, he can use that to corrupt your minds. Um, so a lot of these towers uh, have fallen out of disuse. Um, there's a bunch of plagues and a bunch of orc raids that have like essentially had the the kingdoms of man kind of hole up in in Gondor and Rohan. That's like the only remnants of of the human civilizations left. There's all the wild men that you kind of see. Um, you know, the ones riding elephants. These are like from if if uh, Middle Earth is kind of like Brit- Britain. These are like you know, and this is where uh, this is where unfortunately Tolkien has got a little bit of a race problem. Oh boy. But all the 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 dark men, the the wild men, are like from the Middle East and from uh, <laughs> well, you know course. Northern Africa, and you know they're the the, the, the swarthy gentlemen riding. Elephants, which is supposed to be, I think, like uh, a nod to like the Carth- Carthaginians. Sure, you know, like you're supposed to think of like uh, uh, who was their greatest general, uh, the the Hannibal. You're supposed to think you're supposed to be thinking Hannibal riding over to Al- Alps when you see these things. And Peter Jackson took the exoticism and turned it to like eleven. And there's been lots of ink spilled about that as well. But um, hmm. yeah, like that that's part of like, and that's like the stuff in the expanded edition. You see like Sauron getting. Uh, you know, like the, like these wild men that have been pushed out of their areas by the Rohan, um, and have like these long tribal grudges against them. Like Saruman is like collecting and like saying, "I'm going to arm you if you will harass and like you know, like like pick at all the weak points at Rohan." Because his whole Saruman's whole point in this movie, if you don't know, is to destroy Rohan so that Gondor stands alone for Saruman to pick off or Sauron to pick off. Yeah. Yeah, I and, guess I was uh, confused by that big speech um, that Christopher Lee gives at the beginning of this that Saruman gives um, where he says essentially like, and together we are the two towers or whatever. And he's talking about himself yeah. and Saruman. And I thought the, the coloration that they do um, in the first movie confused me a little bit because they spend a lot of time near a tower below the surface, right? In these mines with the, where the orcs mm-hmm. are being created. And I thought in the first movie that that was the the tower where the eye of sauron is um, no yeah and it, it doesn't help because honestly this orthanc looks evil as fuck right it, exactly like, they, they look roughly similar right they're both these big it, black it doesn't monoliths. look like yeah it doesn't look like something the gondorians would build with their like sea you know their white marble and their sea wing. but yeah they are and it's, it's, the uh, shot that they do there when he's giving that speech is one where he's standing inside the tower of where sauron mm-hmm. is um mm-hmm. the eye of sauron and they shoot across the eye of sauron and show you the top of mount doom and i'm like yeah that's not uh, a okay so shot. so these are the two towers like mount doom is one of yeah. the towers figuratively and it was very confusing, extremely confusing. Because it's, it's like magical geography because you're supposed to understand he's using the Palantir to like cross these vast distances. Like they literally okay. are not an eye shot. But yeah, okay. and that's the thing that's is like that's confusing. the delusion of Saruman. Saruman thinks that if he's a loyal enough lackey to Sauron that yeah. he will be rewarded. And he hasn't read the Cimmerillion to see how the second <laughs> bananas of the evil guys usually get their, their oh, ass no. handed to them and their ass kicked up between their ears. Oh. Uh, you'd think being old enough to to have seen but that's that that's the fundamental tragedy of Sauron Saruman like Saruman yeah. um deals tool. with he deals with the ero- like the fact that the elves are waning they're in the autumn of their their lifespan here on Middle-earth and the fact that the men 
keep getting lesser and lesser. Like mm-hmm. they were once this great, you know, um, species and they've just become greedy and evil and divided and fractious. And the wizard's point, whole point is to kind of like shepherd the people, the intelligent peoples of Middle Earth and offset the balance of these evil forces always fucking with them. And Saruman's intense frustration out of his allies has led him to be like, fuck it. You know, Sauron's the he's he's the strong leader we need right now. Right. Um, and yeah, he's it doesn't he's, go well for him. He's the industrialization that the world needs. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, Holy shit. The metaphor is it's not yeah. even a metaphor at points. Right. It's like. Wow. Uh, Tolkien, yeah. really not a fan of the industrialization happening. That no, as a man, as a man who survived the mechanized horror of World War One, he had, yeah. he had strong feelings about his English countryside being assumed to war war machinery. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I thought we could talk about like you know the cool scenes now, unless you have some other things you want to talk about up front. Uh, yeah, let's talk about a little bit of the storytelling stuff because one of the things I appreciate yeah. about, about about the Lord of the Rings universe is everything has a fucking name, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at times this is silly to the point like Shadowfax. The, the Lord of Horses. I didn't mm-hmm. see anything that that horse did that any ass, any other ass sold horse <laughs> couldn't have done. Like, what the fuck? Uh-huh. Shadowfax, uh-huh. the Lord of Horses. Why? Because he's got a white coat. I don't, I've seen white horses. He doesn't need a saddle. That's a thing of the savings you need <laughs> when you have an immortal horse that never needs saddles. Like, is Jesus, it, is everybody it else is. him that doesn't, is it Shadowfax that doesn't need the saddle or Gandalf that doesn't need the saddle? I think it's Shadowfax. He can, he can gallop so fast and so sure. He never mm. throws his rider. He's a, he's a mystical horse. So there, it's a little bit ridiculous. It's like trying to build Shadow Facts into this thing. It's it's almost like if, if you are if literally fending figures, dozens of people right now. I know, I know. I, I'm sorry. I Jim's apologize. talking shit about Shadow Facts. What the fuck? He's the he's the Lord of Horses. Yeah, but, but I mean, this is your like, eyes cheated by some spell that you can't see. How much better he is? Come on. <laughs> this is why like shipwreck has a name in GI Joe, so they can sell a fucking action figure to you, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like that before uh-huh. the time of action figures right and, right and the yeah. extreme market marketing of this stuff um but all the other stuff they do with the names of places i think is really compelling it's like mm-hmm. before we ever get to the black gate they call it the black gate right and it has an ominous feel to it and people react to the name um all of these these different places and it's down to like fangorn people know what fangorn mm-hmm. is what they're insane like, they went into fangorn why would they do that right. and it serves as like this little bit of foreshadowing where you you can sort of like feel the weight of the name vicariously through these characters and i think that's a really compelling way to tell a story and it honors like um you know if you look in the european folklore the dark forest was always a a, a gruesome, terrifying place because in the old days, that's where wolves and be- bears lived. Like, Absolutely, yeah. You, you you left the light of the settlement. You went a mile into the woods at night, and it could be your ass, man, because mm-hmm. there was things bigger and badder and 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 more vicious than you. Uh, so this is like you know, and you see this uh, Hansel and Gretel, the witch lives in. You see this over and over and over again in fiction. And like, uh, like, like Tolkien knowing all that and, and turning into this, like, yeah, like it's, it's a shared, these people have a shared history. Like, you know, you don't have to tell Gimli what Fangorn Forest is. He's heard about it. Yeah. And the hobbits know it's a bad place. And even the orcs are kind of scared of it. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. And you, you don't need to be told why they're about to show you. It's full of terrifying tree shepherds. They'll stomp your ass. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) If you try, if you try to, if you try to light a fire for warmth, you know? So it's like. 
And again, that's also something that like was intensely satisfying to Tolkien, the idea that nature itself, like there was some kind of like if you push the planet yeah. uh, to a certain point that the, pan- the, 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 the like, you know, like, oh, you're going to rip us down. We're going to rip you down, motherfucker. Um, you know, like it's 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 Captain Planet. Right. It's literally sure. the fantasy of of, uh, you know, uh, against the forces of evil men. The planet itself will fight for itself. Um, yeah. It's too uh, bad. It's too bad. It doesn't. Uh, it it does it has it has ways of fighting back, but yeah, that's true. We're it's we're feeling the effects. Uh huh. <laughs> it's got an immune as, system as a reaction. Yeah, to the uh, infection. Let me ask you about the dead marshes because that's another one that they they name check oh, yes. here. Uh-huh. Is is Gollum in real time making up that name for it, or is it because the way he says it, it sounds like he's going, oh yeah, yeah, the dead marshes. That sounds good. Dead marshes. That's where we are. Is no, it- it's um. You're supposed to understand that this. Do you remember in the 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 uh, prologue, the battle between uh, uh, elves and men and the force of darkness? These are literally this the, is the field the where corpses, it happens. Yeah. and these are like like there's some kind of evil magic in the destruction of Sarum and the lot. Like these are that they and it, it's like pretty much as described in that that there's these shallow pools. And I guess this was inspired by Tolkien's horrifying experiences of walking through the battlefields of World War One and seeing huge craters full of water and, you know, uh, filled with men. And yeah. they're just, like, lying there, sleeping at the bottom. And it was so creepy and unnerving that he, he worked this in. The idea that, what if that was, like, what if you walked in, in France today... Mm-hmm. And these 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 things were still magically there, just reminding you of the the, the dead uh, and the horrific cost of wars before. Um, yeah, and it's also it's also Peter Jackson as fuck. Like <laughs> every once in a while, these movies go into that uh, you know dead alive gear, huh. and when Frodo falls into that water, it's like it's straight it's, it's straight out of the schlocky New Zealand horror days. You know, I really liked it. I thought it was great. Um, yeah, I was just specifically wondering if they were called the Dead Marshes, but. And they have, I think they have an actual feel like it's the, it's not the Pelin, Pelinor fields because that's the, where the Rohan do their charge in the next movie mm-hmm. before that, the big open field before Gondor. Gotcha. But it's, yeah, it's got, it's, it's probably got a, it's, it's actual, you know, uh, whatever that wasteland is, has got a proper name, but the dead marshes are a feature of it, you know, where they have all these corpses and they, and the books they describe them as, uh, and I think it's in the movie too, that like, uh. Uh, there's these will o wisps, you know, this like the these these corpse lights, the swamp gas that kind of lights the candles over these dead bodies and lures people off the path. And there's a malevolence to it that they, they hint at, and I thought was um, uh, they they really visualized well. I thought this back back when I was a much more of a horror pussy, this shit scared the shit out of me. I remember reading yeah. this scene in the book and how scary it was um, when I was a 13 year old. So, so on that topic, can you can you? kind of explain to me what's going on with the lights there like he says something about you know the these candles and if Frodo were to fall in uh he'd sink to the bottom and become a little candle himself I, mm-hmm. I I'm not sure like what is the draw there there's some magical power going on yeah whatever like whatever evil force is keeping these corpses from corrupting and like trapping them there is also putting I, I think it's like like this is supposedly a real life phenomenon. This like swamp gas that lights, you know, these will oh, wisps yeah. they call it, like uh, Saint Elmo's fire. There's lots of different natural phenomena, ball lightning. Like mm-hmm. Tolkien's kind of like, what if that but magic? Um, and that's that's all it is. It's just something to like mesmerize you, um, to lure you in, 
And for what purpose? It's not like it's it's like in Star Wars, this would be some kind of Sarlacc thing. That there's all these pools of digestive fluid and it lures you in there and then traps you and eats you. This is just, it's just evil for evil's sake. I, you know? I feel like, did Gandalf make a mistake giving the ring to Frodo? Would it have been better off with Sam? Because Sam is not tempted by any of this shit, right? Sam's always the one delivering. Sam, Sam's not carrying the ring either. Like, it'd be very interesting if, if yeah, Sam... Yeah, I, I guess I didn't see that the dead marshes were tied in with the ring but i suppose if that's the location where the battle took place maybe maybe so uh yeah i don't think it necessarily is it's more of like uh the concept of like a, a genius loci that's this like a spirit like a regional spirit like a uh, uh that that's been offended so much by the blood spilt upon it that it's just got like this this ancient brooding grudge and there's a lot of, there's a lot of that happens in Lord of the Rings. Honestly, the scenes, uh, there's like these barrel whites that attack uh, the hobbits early on in the first book. These vengeful spirits um, that guard these tombs of the ancient men. Uh, there's this uh, old man willow that's this that, that, that attacks that this this vicious tree spirit that attacks the group in the first one. And they, they got rid of almost all that stuff. And I'm glad they kept like like the fact that like, yeah, some of these forests just want you dead because mm-hmm. you don't belong here. And like these marshes, like they used to be these nice greenlands, and Sauron fucked it up with their dead bodies and all this hate and blood, and they don't, they 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 they're pissed and they're gonna die mad, like to the end, to the, a breaking of the world. These are gonna be no go zones. I think it's kind of cool. It's very yeah, no, wild. It, world. It's cool. I just I'm struck by the fact that you know Frodo is lured in by both of these forces. Sam just kind of skips through the marshes, no problem. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe hand yeah. it hey, the ring to him. Let him carry it for a little while. Share the load, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, with that business out of the way, let's just uh, I want I want to do like the Chris Farley routine of like wasn't a cool win. Um, we they talked about the intro the intro Balrog fight, and apparently they had scripted that out to be a complete battle. Like it was going to be all the way to the bottom of of Middle Earth, and then there's this endless staircase they described that ends up on top of the mountain that they were inside of. And there was this whole fight. Like once the Balrog falls in the water, he was going to come out and now he's going to be the slime Balrog. And he's going to be like a, a spirit of mud and, and, and darkness. And like, they're going to fight up and down the staircase until you get to the part where he smite, smotes his enemies ruin on the mountainside. But Peter Jackson's like, well, that's going to cost like another million dollars. So mm-hmm. they just, they just skipped it and pretty, pretty painless cut. You can see yeah. some concept art of that slime rog. Um, online if you want to if you want to look for it or if, if it's not concept art it's like fan art from people's description of it um, there's a lot of expanded scenes in the extended edition in this this first movie right after that uh, there's this scene of Sam and Frodo using the elvish rope uh, that was given to uh, Sam in the extended edition of the first movie and it's a scene of like you know Sam saying like man it's a shame that I'm going to have to leave behind this elvish rope because it's so cool and magical. Uh, but, you know, my knots are untieable. And he just kind of gives it one yank and then the ta- the the knot mystically unties itself and then okay. falls into his hand. Like it's I was wondering what Frodo the powers says, of elvish ropes were. It's there's lots. And Frodo kind of ironically says real elvish rope when when that happens. That's mm-hmm. cute. I like I mean, I it's it just adds to the run scene. But I, I do like that. There's a lot of really good extra golem scenes like they um, initially set up how conflicted he is to be going back to Mordor, because if you didn't know, Gollum was went to Mordor looking for the ring because he misses it and he's captured and tortured as a spy. 
And if there's a there's a scene at the very beginning where they show him being tortured and he gives up the name of Bilbo from the Shire, which is what sends the ring wraiths over that over them. And he's like freaking out because he just escaped the torturers of the Dark Tower. And now his new master wants to lead him right back. And there's a lot of uh, um, and there's this a hilarious reaction so- shot of like him and Sam having a first conversation and like uh, Gollum just screams at him in this really funny way and runs off. Huh. Um there's also a really funny scene of him trying to eat elvish food and almost killing him. <laughs> I do like uh, the scenes where they're talking about, you know, fish and chips and yeah, cook, yeah, yeah. cooked food versus raw food. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and he's just throwing he's just pitching some really premium fits. He's like, oh, we must starve. And uh they're also showing the parallels between like Frodo starts to see, like, oh God, this is where I'm headed if I don't master this this ring stuff. Um we talked about the dead marshes and how like I thought this scene was really effective and creepy and it's Peter Jackson, the hell and back. Mm-hmm. Um, we already talked about, uh, you know, like what what this actually representing. Again, the bonus of having Andy Circus there on set is like it's literally Andy Circus bodily dragging Elijah Woods out of the water. So it's not like Elijah Woods has to act like it's, yeah. it's a real force dragging him and grabbing him and. And uh, this is also like the emergence of Smeagol. The the softer side of Gollum is starting to assert itself. Um, Sam and Frodo at the Black Gates. Uh, I didn't have like a real vivid imagination of what that looked like. But like, God damn, the fact that this is massive machinery and is powered by cave trolls. Are you Mm -hmm. kidding me? Uh, And like the pomp and circumstance of it, I thought is incredible. Um, Also... I love it from a fan and a world building perspective, because the other thing about these elvish cloaks was they're supposed to be like this almost predator like camouflage, not ostentatiously. But like if you're in a forest, it's kind of dappled and wood and brown. And if you're in a desert, it might be sand color and extra dusty. And the practical effect of Frodo throwing this cloak over him and Sam and it looking like kind of a crusty rock. Uh, yeah. I just thought that's like it just nailed the effect and they don't even make a big deal. As a matter of fact, imagine I, you could you could miss it if you don't if you don't look for it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the effects in that scene are maybe some of the dodgiest with the black gate, though, like the the compositing oh, and really? stuff. It feels a little weird. Um, yeah, it feels like it's it's a little creaky. Now, they're going to be doing a 4K release of these for the first time on December Holy 1st. Holy shit. What is that going to look like? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Like, is this going to look worse? Are they going to touch it up? Are they going to... I don't know, because sometimes it's like it looks better, the compositing, because like um, you see like banding and stuff around this that really really heightens the difference between the different shadings and stuff. And sometimes when you go higher resolution, that gets finer and it looks like it's a little bit more. Hmm. But I don't know. I we'll I see. just watched the Blu-rays and they're gorgeous, but yeah, god damn, I guess I'm gonna have to get the 4K versions now. <laughs> yeah, they're doing a box set, I guess. I just bought the fucking Blu-rays, man. <laughs> I just just this year broke down and got them for the quarantine. Hmm. Damn it, damn it, I should have waited. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of great scenes here of like you can see the sympathy starting to switch. Um, from you know, Frodo and Sam, the 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 Frodo and, and Gollum, because they have this so much more in common. They really set mm-hmm. this rift between Frodo and Sam up amazingly. And you couldn't skip yeah. any of this stuff because you need it for this. Like, you know, yeah, this is a 9.5 movie, but you need it. <laughs> you need it. Or if you don't sell this stuff, it's kind of like 
this is what George Lucas tried to do in the prequels. Like he just tried to tell mm-hmm. uh, that Anakin and Obi Wan are best buddies between Anakin and, they, and Padme, and yeah, right. But here you actually see the friendship between Sam and Frodo, and it's precious and it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and you see the fracturing of it, and it, they, they take it, they take their damn time doing it, and that's why it works so well. Yeah. Um, but um, the also like, man, this amazing scene where Gollum, like essentially Smeagol wins the, the, the ethical and moral tug of war for his soul, yep. where you see like what an abusive relationship he's had with himself. Um, and, you know, this this Gollum saying that no one will ever love you and no one will ever accept you. Like, I'm all you got. And Smeagol just rejecting that. And the fact it's Andy Serkis just did this and kind of like one take type of deal is incredible especially since and it, it, i remember in the being in the theater how like people were laughing right because Gollum's being ridiculous he's like nope nope i don't want to hear really? this cult covering his ears and huh. and but but there's this point where like the it's it's yeah i think it's shot as comedy when he's having like uh you know this this debates about himself uh, between himself and they're 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 mugging for each other and then when Gollum really turns vicious and Smeagol starts hurting, it like silences all that. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was it was more horror than comedy. Um, hmm. Like that internal tug of war between a monster and a, and essentially an innocent was. I don't know. And and then you, I think that they do a whole lot of this later, right? In Return of the King, it's it's yeah. Gollum's and oh, Smeagol's yeah. like total backstory, right? And and like and they all, do flashbacks yeah. and all that stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you get it, to see his backstory. They, they give you a little bit of it, and and a pretty vivid picture of it, I think, in this movie yeah. too, where You're you know the, they're. But you get the the sense, at least, uh, maybe this is you know me being uh, subconsciously informed by having seen Return of the King, but I get the sense that Smeagol was pushed into a murder by Gollum. Um, by yeah, the 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 call of the ring. Or, or something. I, I don't know. I, I get the sense that like Gollum manipulated Smeagol into doing something bad and is now blaming him for it and calling him worthless because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- there's like this emotional abuse manipulation angle mm-hmm. to it that comes through in in this performance. Yeah. And then him banishing and how like transformative that was in the character of Gollum. Like once he abolishes this Gollum character and becomes Smeagol and he's like, you know, bringing the spray Sikonis and his little capering little dance. And that's where, you know, um, this is this is where the stuff between Sam and Frodo really kicks into high gear because Frodo sees the effort that he's making and Sam never trusts him until it's kind of too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many me like God. There's like so many fucking memes in this movie. The potatoes, <laughs> boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew, and stupid hat, fat Hobbit, and uh, mm-hmm. what do they you have smell? The man flesh. Yeah. Yep, they got the they got the olifants. I noticed for the first time, like I don't see how anyone rides at the top of those elephants. You see those towers, and as the elephants are moving, they're like gyrating fifteen feet. <laughs> it, it's like riding the top of a crow's nest in a sailing ship at sea. Yeah, in a in in, in a storm all the time, like. How you fire an arrow from that or, or throw a spear or do anything other than hang on and not throw up is beyond me. And that's just when the elephants are moving at a leisurely pace. Yeah. When they get hasty, Jesus, watch it, watch out. Um now, again, I don't like Faramir that much, but the I, I do think there's a lot of the 
uh, extended edition that they needed to put in to to give him a little bit more because his introduction and extended edition. I don't think this is in uh, this whole thing, but he gives this wonderful speech about the futility of war. When he's no. looking down at that guy that 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 was was laying dead of at, at at Frodo's feet, and he says, you know, like you know, essentially, like what's the difference between this guy and me? Like what lies and threats made this man leave his home and come so far away? You know, would he not rather be at his home and in peace? And you know, he says that he closes like war will make corpses of us all. And this is you know, Tolkien, the the World War One fighting man, just lamenting. Uh, the millions dead. Doesn't Theoden um, have a very similar speech toward the end when Helm's Deep is being attacked? Yeah, yeah. Like, what can men do against such reckless hate and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, they 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 make that point that war is hell throughout the. But I think the the Faramir has one of the stronger ones, and they took it from him. Yeah. Um, because like I said, you know, like I I think Faramir every time that like everything was going so good with Sam and Frodo and Smeagol, and Faramir shows up and just kind of like torpedoes the plot line. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really get good until he he leaves him at and then Os- Osgiliath later on. But um, can we go back to the Smeagol and and uh, Frodo stuff real quick? Because I, yeah. I'm a little confused by one point, which is how he knows so much about Smeagol. How, did I miss something? Am I not remembering something from the first movie that like tells you, oh, the ring has information that it gives to its bearer that. Uh, on on previous how bearers, how does Frodo who know knows? anything about Smeagol? Uh, Gandalf told him, like in the very Did first he? movie, okay. when they sit down and they have a talk in the cave. He says something like, "You know, so that Gollum used to be something not too far off from a Hobbit," and I think he even oh, said okay. his name. And, you know, that that was uh... so. Yeah, they did. They did establish it. He doesn't know everything, but it. he knows. Yeah, he knows a little bit about it. Okay. Um Oh, they also that other uh, the other like mystical weird thing is the magic blood, I guess, that Aragorn has that. Oh, yeah. It, you were you were mentioning it in the first movie and asking me if I even really noticed it. And my answer was no. And yeah. here they lean further into it. I think like he can hear up up to a day's ride away the the orcs marching um just by putting yeah. his ear to the ground and is that like he's got really good hearing is does that mean the orcs are super loud because i know i know that's true but also yeah, we'll it's a, a day away right and is this his magical blood and then when he goes to the site where um you know mary and pippin escaped the orcs he's able to kind of like csi uh, you know monk CSI, yeah. sort of thing like where he goes in <laughs> uh-huh. and reconstructs the whole thing in his head is that yeah. is that magic blood? Is that just being a really good tracker? I I was it's tough to say because okay. he definitely has mat. So there's he has magic blood for sure because one of the things you find out in the extended scenes of this movie is Fer- or Aragorn's like 87 years old. Oh wow! Um, okay, this branch of humanity that's closer to the original perfected hum- humans and not diluted. So with, what's like, Arwen getting corruption. all? What's what are they getting all twisted up about? He's got like a good 200 more years. You don't have oh, to worry yeah, about his death like, for a while. Compared to immortality, it's like the I difference know. between a dog's lifespan and your your own. But for sure, but no, it's like yeah, it's but but also like um, so like what is magic about his abilities, and what is it that like he's just had eighty years of tracking experience? He was raised in Elrond's household. He learns all these tricks from the elves. Is it he's does he have magic? Because yeah. clearly, like 
uh, like Legolas, he makes mention of like, you know, what do your elf eyes see? Like he can't see as, as perfectly as the elf can, but like, he's just a really, really good tracker. Okay. Um, and he has some kind of power that he can stand against like beings way out of his weight class because he's got that, that magic Numenorean blood. Uh, that hasn't hasn't been diluted as much as some of the other other men, which you know there's there's yeah again that's where Tolkien gets himself into trouble. <laughs> sure, but, <laughs> gotcha. All right, um, that makes sense. Got them good genes. Uh, but they have this extra scene going back to Faramir where they show the retaking of Osgiliath, Os- um, where like it's 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 right before Boromir gets sent to the Council of Elrond. He wins his great victory, retakes the satellite city, pushes the forces of Mordor back across the river, and him and his brother are like hand in hand celebrating it. And his dad comes in like the wet blanket he is and says, "Uh, oh, your your son's a fa- your your brother's a failure, and he's a piece of shit." Uh, jeez. Oh, and I feel like this scene needed to be in the movie because it shows Boromir like you can like I don't if you think Boromir is kind of a dick in the first movie, but this shows him like before he was kind of corrupted by the idea of the ring like he was this great open hearted leader and he tried to shield his his uh, brother from the abuse of his father um, hmm. and really sticks up for his brother. And I think that this stuff, you know, needed to be in there to sell the massive inferiority complex that Faramir has and like why he does the things he does, if they're going to go down this direction at all. Gotcha. Um, so I think that's like, they're like a combined total, like 10 minutes of extra scenes with Faramir and Boromir. And I think they needed to be in my opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, but this is also like, um, I thought this interrogation of Gollum where they capture him. Uh, first of all, it gives an excuse for, Gollum to start turning back from the Smeagol ways like oh look you know your master betrayed you and Mm -hmm. delivered you into this treachery Um, but also like the way that they portrayed that like uh, him weeping and then this one hand starts stroking him like it's like literally something else taking possession of his body and comforting him and singing this comforting song to him really great really Mm -hmm. creepy um, and and effective um but yeah, like I said, this this kind of like goes like th- th- one of the things that like Fran and Philippa and, and Peter said is like, if you don't have these scenes of, you know, Faramir looking evil in the firelight and saying it's time for the captain of Gondor to show his quality uh, that it's like you don't have Frodo or Sam. You don't give them anything to do. But like, I don't know why Faramir has to be evil to continue Frodo's addiction to the ring Mm-hmm. And to sell the betrayal, because I, I believe these men would rough up Gollum. Look at him, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, he looks like an evil, wretched thing. Like and most maybe of the they movies, can people... distrust him as much as Sam does, and just be a little bit more violent toward him, right? Like, yeah, because they're big. They're and it kind of shows that men, you know, can be can be bullies. You know, right. that's one of the uh, one of the things they're selling about, like the weakness of man is like you know they have power, but they they don't always use it wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know why you have to turn Fro- uh, Faramir into an asshole to sell sell this other stuff. But um, yeah, uh, I do yeah. think yeah, that's Gilead is neat because it brings them back to the action and it brings them like on the the border of of Mordor where they need to be. And like again, purely visually, the battle is pretty exciting and like the fell beasts coming down and descending on Frodo is amazing. And then. And I found this extremely powerful watching this weekend. Sam's speech about like what they're going through being in the great stories that are full of darkness and danger. And you think, how can the world move on after it's gotten so bad? But a new day is going to come and imagine how good that day will be once we overcome. 
It's good. That's a fucking good speech, man. Yeah. And it single-handedly changes uh, Faramir's mind. Yeah. And I, I kind of, and, and there's also like, um, so they didn't have footage of Gollum reacting to this and uh, Peter Jackson stole animation from other scenes and just put him in here to kind of have Gollum also. Cause like I, I, and I didn't get this watching this, but the director's commentary, he makes this argument that what he was trying to do was show that Gollum was hearing the truth of what Sam was saying, but because of the, the, the negative Gollum persona starting to take over, he interpreted it as like, there's this brighter world he's talking about. It's not a world that I'll ever fit in. Like I'll no matter how good or virtuous I'll be, I'll because the way I look, I will it's always be corrupted. rejected. Yeah, so it's like it's kind of like this kind of um, it's it's showing like Faramir being called to his better self by Sam's words and Gollum feeling more isolated by them. And like I think that all tracks. Like I, I don't and and now that I've seen it, it's, it, it it definitely came out. But I thought that was a really interesting way to do that because it's like I don't think that like. Gollum being beat up by the men was enough to turn him against it but then like hearing Sam and Frodo talk about the world they want to go back to and him thinking like well that's just that's just not ever going to even though he's probably wrong like there's another version there's another version where Gollum stays true to the fellowship till the end and he's kind of welcomed back to the Shire with open arms you know because the Shire's got their their share of rough luck cases and dipshits and 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 the malcontents and and people that don't fit in. Uh, I mean, Mary like and he, Pippin he, are kind of them, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's it's his self hatred. He yeah. can't see himself in that that kind of company. That's um, interesting. I I'd probably really need that explained to me um, to to pick that out because I was I I was definitely picking up the like betrayal aspect because that's just yeah. on the face of it. But yeah. yeah, I was now picking up like the equal and opposite reactions that you know Faramir and Gollum would have. And I think it's because it's just all like it's all what he it, it some of this stuff reminds me a lot of like uh, listening to George Lucas talk about Star Wars and like the Godfather editing. It's like Peter Jackson's like, man, I, I, I got this idea. I need something. Let me grab some of these unused animations and just shove it in here. Yeah. And so it's like I think if he actually had some reshoots and stuff, he could have done a better job. But mm-hmm. I was actually impressed with what he's able to do essentially with just the stuff on the, the cutting room floor. Um. Of course, there's another extended scene here where Faramir escorts them to a hidden tunnel. It'll take them across the other side of the river. And he just essentially late. He just serves up the next movie. It's like, hey, there's uh, th- this guy's taking you up this this tower pass. There's a darkness up there that everyone's afraid of. And he's he's mm-hmm. leading you into a bad way, Frodo. And Frodo's like, well, fuck you. He's our guide anyway. And Ooh, I, th- yeah, that's, it's that's rough because then when he goes ahead and does it, are those words not ringing in Frodo's ears? I know it, it feels like it. It's it's it. It, it felt it feels very much unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, even if you're a fan of the extended takes, like I don't know this. This feels like it's redundant. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, the only it only serves one logical purpose. Peter Jackson said people would think like, well, how the hell do these hobbits get across this this movie, this river? Because in the next movie, I'm going to show that the other side is teeming with orcs about to invade Gondor. So how the fuck? So he's like, well, I have to explain how they get across. And like, no, you never do. You never you never do. <laughs> um, but yeah, then you got this two and a half minute continuous FX shot of of Gollum, you know, planning to be wretched and and uh to 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 use trickery and deceit to to lure the hobbits into their doom and they just invite you to look at this 
artificial being and gawk at it in broad daylight and never doubt that it's solid and real. Yeah. And then it establishes just how close, like last movie, you remember when they pale, they panned up and saw how far away Mordor is. And now like they're literally on the front step and it's a great way to end the, the end the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have to kind of go back chronologically because we just hit the end of the movie to go to some of these other points. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really some things I want to talk about. Orthanc, Saruman's tower. Um, apparently like, they didn't have they didn't plan on doing this montage in the beginning, but they decided to they reused a lot of the scenes of the orc birth from the first movie. And they literally flipped the um, the 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 scene like like they mirrored it horizontally. OK. And they added like one new hero shot of one of these guys, the the screaming orc being born. And it's it's great because it sells the story of like. Because you could you could for you be could be forgiven for thinking that like Saruman's army was just that one band of orcs he sent out in the first movie. Yeah. But Pete wanted you to get the idea like, nah, this is an industrial process. Right. You've got like this massive world ending army that has happened uh, since the last movie. And like there's like five seconds of new material and they just sell that industrialization. So great. Yeah. And these and, uh, warg riders that they send out eventually. Um hmm. I, I thought it was really cool the way that they introduced those because they don't show it to you, right? They they do literal and figurative uh, foreshadowing here by showing the shadows yeah. on the wall, uh, yeah, yeah, snarling yeah. And, and moving around. And it, it's yeah. scary. Yeah, these wargs are really great. And they also, there's an extended scene where Saruman is taking oaths of loyalty from these wild men and stoking their hatred of Rohan and like mm-hmm. your lands were stolen and the horse lords have driven you and... And now it's your chance to take revenge. And that bleeds immediately into the scene. It's in the movie of the sacking of the village. Oh, that, that scene's that was, in the movie. Uh, I saw that scene. No, oh, of him, like the the, him, of the man he, swearing vengeance. Uh-huh, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because they, they, they got that kind of like slight political intrigue in here. Because um, like it's, yeah, you're, I think you could be forgiven thinking just orcs are doing all this stuff. But it's also a right. lot of... Uh, you know, um, proxy war shit that he's doing with the, the lesser tribes of men. Yeah. Some kind um, of bad blood, you know, it's, it's been yeah. a feud for a while and they stole their lands and drove them to yeah. the, the hills or whatever. But Pete's so good at showing, like he uses these, like, uh, you know, uh, I think another movie would just show this village being sacked, but he has the wisdom to show like, we need a mom and a daughter and a child yeah. to, you know, have the faces of the people that are fleeing from this, that also will then tell the king what's going on. Like, it's just really efficient. It takes 30 seconds and you care about the hell of a lot more than if you just heard, oh, we're getting our, our borders are being raided, you know? Yeah. Um, The orc hunt, I think is amazing. It's like one of the most fun, like just seeing these three guys hunting these orcs and there's, uh, Legolas is being a badass and Aragorn's being a badass and Gimli is being comic relief like him just <laughs> Always, like barely yeah. able to keep up with these long legged dudes but still he's a fucking dwarf and he's doing it yeah beast is, mode is, for sure yeah yeah and he's just, just gotta breathe gotta breathe it's funny but it's also badass uh-huh. and a couple things I didn't know about this during almost all of these running scenes Viggo Mortensen had a broken toe which we're about to talk right. about the human scale dwarf guy had cracked or had dislocated his shoulder from a previous stunt scene and Orlando Bloom had cracked his ribs falling off a horse. Oh, and it's just like, oh, guess what? This is weak, guys. It's just a bunch of scenes of you running. 
<laughs> Man, they made accommodations for weather. You can't make accommodations for broken ribs. Like, come no, on, broken ribs, broken ribs, broken toes. Jeez. Uh, nah, fuck you. Just, just, just gut it out, guys. And the other thing I never noticed, but Peter Jackson said his idea for this chase is the camera will never stop moving. Mm. Um, even when the guys are standing like a hill. He's got this dolly shot where the camera's spinning around them. So the guy is standing center in the frame, but the background is whirling behind yeah. them at a crazy speed. It just sells the relentless. Like these guys are not stopping. They're like gaining steadily on these orcs. And it's it's it, it just gives it a whole different energy than the kind of more majestic shots of the fellowship going through the background of the previous movie. And the way uh, they cut, you know, back and forth between them and the orcs, they look cut from them sprinting. Uh, at a furious pace over to the orcs who were like, oh, we got to take a break. You know, we're not going any right. farther. We until need a we... breather. Yeah, uh, it, it's good. It's real good. Yeah. And like I said, just just notice it because I never did. But like literally the entire orc hunt, the camera will never, ever, ever stop moving. It's always zooming, even when the people aren't. And it's it's an amazing. It, it works. It's a visual trick that works. Yeah. Um, there's an extended scene in the movie of like we hear we see the the aftermath of uh, King Theoded. Uh, his son being killed at this Ford. Um, but like they actually show the ambushing of them at, at this, in this fjord or, or river Ford rather. Um, and they, they make it explicit like that. These orcs are, you know, they, they they're not from Mordor. These are Saruman's dudes, which is like a big puzzle. And there's this um, kind of intrigue in that. Like now they've hurt the, they've wounded the King's son and it looks like Saruman's turned against us. And, um, also, I just want to kind of talk about the actors here for a bit, like Carl Urban and Miranda Otto, who play uh, the brother and sister, um, mm. Eomer and Eowyn. Um, Carl Urban goes on to do an amazing amount of things. I, I know Miranda has done some things, but this is kind of like the thing I know her most from. I just think they're perfectly cast. Like Carl Urban is doing some early snarling work, like when he grabs Wormtongue and like pushes him against the... You know, and when he realizes the full level of treachery that he's bringing and he's got that snarl, like, how long, how long have I put up with you leering at my sister from the shadows? Yeah. You can see that face like that, 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 uh, that you can see ju- the seeds of Judge Dredd and Billy Butcher in, in these scenes. For sure. Um, and Brad Duruf, 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 probably. This guy, because of his schedule, had to fly back to New Zealand five times, to, and every single time he, he had to shave his eyebrows off. Oh God! <laughs> um, and they put warts. Like this, this guy is like. I, I remember being really interested in seeing how they portray Wormtongue, because he is this kind of disgusting guy, but he's also this like you know the trusted Count Vizier, and um, you know. Uh, it, it's a little bit of like an Aladdin situation where you got, what is it? Rafir? Jafar? Jafir? Jafir. Jafar. Rafiki. He's like a Jafar character, but Jafar sold the, you know, he was suave and he looked like he belonged to this court. Like there is a little bit of question of like, how the fuck did Wormtongue take over the whole court? Uh, well, I got the impression that it was because of the influence of Sauron um, that he was able to worm his way in there. But still, you'd think that like Carl Urban at some point would just lead a coup. Like, I see what's going on here. <laughs> well, that's but, but yeah, that's hilarious to me yeah. because at the end of the movie, when Carl Urban comes back, Eomer comes back with all of his his banished cavalry. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious to me how many of them there are because they've just banished 
at least half their army, at yeah. least half their army. Yeah. Which yeah. to me, it, it looked more like they banished 70% of their army, which how do you even do that? <laughs> yeah. You can't. No, Peter Jackson jokes about that. On the, he's like, uh, you know, it's like, I of all the things people pick apart in this film, no one ever doubts because you want Eomer to come in there with this crashing tide. But it's like, because in the books, Eomer's actually <laughs> in Helm's Deep. And this is a whole other army from the other side of the kingdom that they sent word for to get and it arrives at the last minute. Oh. But like, yeah, and he's like, he's, uh, they're, they're making these jokes about like you know it's like uh he's like they're like i don't know why people didn't notice this he goes well it's because we've committed much larger crimes in this film and that's (laughs) (laughs) you hide you hide your minor crimes with all the big crimes you commit against storytelling but no fair point fair point um but i think these guys are extra solid and brad dorif does an amazing job at worm tongue and really kind of a selfless like he makes himself disgusting and wretched he's incredible i hate Um, him i hate him in that role he's he's so good i hate him yeah, and you also have um uh uh goddamn Bernard Hill, who of course is the the only thing I'd seen before he was the uh the captain of the Titanic in oh, uh, yeah. in James Cameron's Titanic movie. But he's so good as this uh King of Rohan. Um like you just feel the weight of the kingdom on him and how he doesn't really want to do any of that. He just wants to protect his people. He's being drugged in this war for this other king. It's kind of like, you know, slighted him throughout the generations. Uh, he's, he's, he's spent this time stupefied under the spell and he wakes up and finds his son's dead and his people are under attack. He really just like makes me feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also you see why his men following him and then they love him and revere him too. Um, but uh, yeah, is there, I, I, is there I, any way they could have cut the the death of his son out of this? Because I didn't give a shit. Um, it was really? so it was so thin. It was like one moment he's you know possessed by a sorrow, and the next moment he's mourning a dead kid who I never met and don't care about. I, I think you needed it because then the question is, well, well, why doesn't he just do what Gandalf says? Like, why doesn't he chart? Why doesn't he go forth and join his forces against Sauron? You know, why does he retreat? Because he's experienced all this loss and gotcha. he thinks like, I can't ask my people, like uh, if I can save my people or have them die in a foreign war, I'm going to save my people. And it just, it, it, it makes him feel like that's more of a understandable emotional decision, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, the, the the resolution of the orc hunt um where the you know the orcs are offending the the forest of fangorn by chopping it down you get that early establishment of ooh the trees aren't easy or the trees are uneasy and then fight between the orcs that allows you know Merry and pippin to escape by the skin of their teeth um rohan the rohan uh the, the exiled warriors saving the day but causing the chaos mm-hmm. um eric uh vigo mortensen broke his toe in in this scene in the movie when he kicks the helmet yeah and he broke his toe and you can almost see in his face like the pain kick in and him fall to the ground screaming and he had the instinct to use that for his performance and by god his toe breaking is is now immortalized for all time yeah it's the shot Uh, they used yeah yeah it's uh it's 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 great it's great um because you never don't really see aragorn give in to grief and despair and yeah. when he does in this movie, because he kind of does. And you need earned. him to, yeah. Like, that that's the thing. Like, by the end of the movie, you know, it's a question of whether he's going to keep that hope that, you know, people are always talking about. And and whether he's going to be able to pass it on to Legolas, who's losing hope as well. And yeah, yeah, I think it all works. 
And these scenes also do such a great job of like starting to weld together Legolas and Gimli, their friendship that like is an uh, engine that makes a lot of the 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 back half of the story work. Um, you know, Legolas stepping up and saying, you know, he's he's not going to die alone. Like you, you chop off his head, you're you're you'll you'll die before the axe. Tra- and it kind of surprises Gimli. Like it cuts to John Reese, and he's kind of like, oh god, the elf is sticking up for me. And then when um, he's going to toss, you know, toss the dwarf across the the chasm onto the bridge there he's like don't tell yeah the elf <laughs> yeah there's that but also the fact that he's trusting like you know like uh i'm not too i'm not too proud to be tossed now because i i uh-huh. trust and respect and love you too um I, it's i love that shit man it puts such a big smile on my face um i thought it was really interesting um how they did uh gandalf's return and things that i wasn't aware of it like when he came back. Yeah, they 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 digitally blended uh, Christopher Lee's voice and his his face in the first few frames of the tra- of the reveal of Gandalf. So you're kind of like it sells number one that like literally Gandalf is kind of Saruman reborn, um, like the, as he should be, and also like, it kind of like um, if if you if you weren't spoiled by reading the books, like this is a fucking moment. Return of Gandalf, holy shit, and. Yeah, it's hard to capture that feeling again um, after having seen all these movies and knowing that he's coming back and and some of this stuff doesn't work. Like, I I think that moment works. It's it's very awe inspiring and it's cool, like the light coming off of him and and especially and he hands the three baddest asses their ass without uh even really trying. So it sells again Gandalf's like omnipotent power when it comes to like mortals, you know? Yeah. The the thing that doesn't work for me is when Mary and Pippin are first. there's this fake out like oh we're gonna take you to the white wizard which isn't isn't that saruman's name throughout this and so they're trying to make you think that some for some fucking reason these ints who are the mortal enemies who are being destroyed by the industrialization that saruman has has you know wrought upon their lands would for some reason take these uh hobbits to him why would they do that like it's obvious they're not gonna do that so when yeah. they say take you to the white wizard, you're, you know, it's not Saruman. Why do you, is that, I want to push back on that because like in that part of the movie, do we know all those things? Like, is it not possible that Saruman is lying to these tree shepherds and you know, like they're far enough away from the action that they don't know what he's doing to their forest. And maybe, maybe if they're far enough away, but by that point we've definitely seen the deforestation, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which is um, hilariously ironic to me. It's like these these orcs go we in also, and they need the fire, right? They they yeah. say let's light a fire and they tear down all these trees, right? Uh, th- so they need the fire, they need the trees to make fire, and yet they want to destroy the trees. Like the mm-hmm. irony there is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, I also think that going back to the original point that maybe if you understand that Theoden is ensorcelled by Saruman that you might also think that he could get dominion over these tree beings, like that they're just serving evil purposes. Um, and also, I, yeah, I, think I guess that, I, I didn't feel any of that influence there on the, yeah, ends, it, so. it, it, it's, it does it. Cause like, you know, tree beard coming in and stomping this orc is very cool, but it also does like, you do, it just sells him as good, you know, like yeah. he's like, you know, like he's, uh, he's on the right side. If nothing, if, if not that for accident, um, he's against orcs, you know, so, and to be yeah, fair, it's it's that. not like I 
you don't immediately know oh, when they say white wizard they're talking about a reincarnate or you know a, yeah, a, a, sure. a higher power resurrecting gandalf uh from the flames of the balrog's pit like you can't jump yeah. to that conclusion but you jump to the conclusion of this is not the white wizard they want me to think they're talking about right um i also um i also really liked how uh they show gandalf kind of recovering his gandalfness it reminds me a lot of like uh, the voyage home Spock where he's Spock, huh, yeah. but he hasn't quite fully interfa- re-interfaced with his present body. Like he doesn't yeah. remember. He's like, you know, oh, he, I was Gandalf the Grey, right? Yeah, like he's remembering, like he knows he's, he's got all of the information, but the emotional context has been divorced from it. Like, you know, Spock knew that he's f- best friends with Jim Kirk, but what does that mm-hmm. mean to me? And he's rediscovering it. And then he... He fully comes into his own in the, in the next movie when, you know, he's very warm with like Mary and and and, and Pippin. Um, but uh, yeah, I love that like little detail of like Gandalf has lost a bit more than a bit uh, through this, this sacrifice that he made fighting the, the Balrog and his lines that like, you know, the lightning strike and a sword and him. I, I smote my enemies ruin upon the mountainside. It's so fucking good gothic and badass it's like something from a heavy metal cover i love it for sure i love it throw that fucking balrog down old man i mean this is why uh, led zeppelin wrote songs about this shit right yeah because <laughs> the imagery yeah, here it's fucking, is it's cool it's cool yeah. there is a lot of oh man there's a, so many extended scenes of Treebeard. Treebeard reciting poetry that i frankly think is cringe hmm. uh and there's also just a, a, a special scene, extended scene here of uh, Gandalf just telling you straight up what's up. There's like this five minute scene of him explaining Saruman's doing this and he's using these forces against Rohan. And oh, by the way, over in Gondor, they stand alone against Sauron. Meanwhile, our our hobbit friends and he's just like given like a blow by blow recap. And also, guess what? You've got magic blood and you got to decide whether you're going to be the leader of these people. And um, I don't know that and, I needed and, that. And Sauron is distrustful of Saruman, and Saruman's distrustful of them. And uh, hmm. the thing that I remember of it is like Peter Jackson saying that, like, I guess for some reason, the prosthetic nose that they put on um, Sir Ian here looked jet black in these scenes because they weren't reflecting the light properly. Oh, no. And even though they color corrected, you can see in this deleted scene that, like, he, his nose looks a little necrotic. Oh, <laughs> God. Like they, they said frostbite Gandalf because. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't it just wasn't working. I mean he has just been resurrected. I could buy it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um uh we we talked about like the the things that we don't like about uh Eowyn's roles like the the love triangle that she tries to fit in. But there's this this beautiful scene where they um I think there this is a direct quote from the books where like worm tales going on about like you know uh, you're 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 like a hutched uh a, a hutch to trammel some wild thing, um, and he's like taunting her with her fears. And Peter Jackson pointed out that like there's this moment that um Eowyn almost succumbs to like because even though Wormtail's evil and disgusting, he's mm-hmm. actually completely got her pegged yeah. at what her fears and desires, and he understands her in a way that her brother and the king and none of these people ever do. And she like wavers like, well, maybe I should, I have nowhere else to turn. Maybe I should turn to this. And then she says, your words are poison. I never fully appreciated like what was going on in that scene. But when I actually, you know, looked at it with, you know, 
uh, a little bit more eyes. It's like, yeah, this this is actually all really fucking working. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the scene of them surrendering. This is straight from the books, you know, them getting disarmed and the old man in the walking stick routine. Mm-hmm. And I, I also just, I get a kick out of how much shop the Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli wreck uh, <laughs> behind like, him as he's, yeah. Yeah. Like worm tongues got all these bullies and they're like sizing them up like, Oh, an old man and a fucking dwarf and a, 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 a Twinkie elf. We got this, we got this. And they're just like, just, just the cameras whirling around and everything in the background. They're just getting their faces smashed in, <laughs> barehanded, bare knuckled brawling. It's great. It's like something out of a D and D campaign. You know, you sure. roll into a fucking tavern and you just start, you just start getting into a bar fight. It's, it's, it's great. There's like a very small moment too, where like the captain of this guard or whatever it is, is, is yeah. kind of like holding a lot of his men back. Like he's, yeah, he kind of yeah, waves like them off briefly. So don't let don't fight. murder these yeah. fools. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that helped sell it. Yeah. Um, and then, like, the ga- the reveal of Gandalf the White when he cast off his cloaks and he, they, he has this wizard battle with Sar- Saruman. I thought, like, from a visual st- 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 uh, storytelling point, that, that shot where he, like, strikes um, Theoden's head so hard that, like, Saruman feels it. Yeah. Is is it's like you know if you didn't like the wizard fight in the first one, I thought this was even better. Much like better. you really get the and the soundtrack, the like the bass, the thum that you mm-hmm. get of this power when Gandalf is using his counter spells and stuff. It's fucking cool. And uh, McKellen's performance, like when he successfully does it, he's like kind of breathing hard, but like and throwing his shoulders back, like he looks like a man who just chopped through a cord of firewood. You know, mm-hmm. like I just did some fucking work and it was satisfying. Uh, I just beat another man. Uh, I, I, I like it. Uh, it. It's really good. And Bernard Shaw's performance of like shaking off the spell and grabbing a sword. Yeah, like literally picking picking the sword back up, right? Um, and yeah. Deciding and the, to fight the, the this war. And the, the, that like it sounds like he's drawing a 300 foot sword out of like a cast iron sheath like this, this, this sound it makes as he draws and the Rohan theme is kicking on strong like fuck yeah you're ready to go you're ready to go banish Wormtongue yourself. Oh yeah he throws Wormtongue out on his ass that was maybe the best part of this entire movie throwing him <laughs> down the stairs man I wanted to see that yeah. so bad. Yeah and I, I like I said if you, you didn't think the scene of um uh, Theoden burying his son worked. I thought it did, and that it it, leaves, it it lays the emotional context for him turning down Gandalf. And you're supposed also another thing I, I picked up in the commentary is like they're intentionally setting up Gandalf as a manipulator. Like he's just mm-hmm. a positive version of Wormtongue. He's sitting to the uh, right at the king's right hand man and saying, well, "Look what you got to do, sire. Your hands are kind of tied here. You got to do the thing that I want you to do." Right. Because else you're a pussy. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's uh it it's it's um the darker side of Gandalf because he is kind of like um, Dumbledore that comes after him. He's doing the right things, but boy, he's he's using people. He's nakedly using people to 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 get to his ends. So they got the the road to Helm's Deep. There's this extra scene of Aragorn um, bonding with his horse. This wild horse that that kind of breaks free. You find out it's the son of the the slain, or it's the horse of the son that was slain. Um, and I I kind of thought they should have left this in because then it it means something a little bit more when this horse comes and saves Vigo later. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. Is, is, like what it. is he, Duke of the Horses? Like, 
Yeah, yeah, he's got the elvish tongue, man. He's got the horse whisper. He whispers elvish. No, no, I mean the horse. Like, what's the name? Halifax, and it's it's the Duke of all horses. (laughs) It's royal horse. Royal horsery. It's the horse of a king, you know? Um, Sure. And it can do everything a horse can do. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And then there's there's a lot of extra scenes on the road to Helm's Deep where they let Eowyn and Aragorn um bond and some of this stuff is spectacularly misguided like there's a scene of uh Eowyn tries to feed uh Aragorn stew and the joke is that she just can't cook stew and it's terrible stew and Aragorn's choking it down and I'm like mm. Eowyn can make stew Aragorn can make stew what is this horse shit like you know like I, it's like uh, I don't know it's 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 really really weird um but they also have like the scene of like, you know, her and Gimli kind of like uh, lightly flirting and or like Gimli kind of holding court with her about female dwarves. And um, the one yeah, scene yeah. about the uh, they also reveal in these extra scenes that like Aragorn is 87 years old, which I actually agree with Peter Jackson, even though that's cool. And it lets you know that like there's something special about him. It also confuses the fuck out of like the discussion he later has with Elrond about like, I'm a mortal man. And you're an elf that lives forever. And like, wait, wait, grandpa, you're 90 years old and you look like this stud. Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh-huh. Like I said, this this stuff is kind of a mess because like there's this fantasy sequence of Arwen or maybe it's a flashback where like, you know, as he's in the middle of flirting with Eowyn, it's kind of like, woohoo, I got a, a vision slash dream slash flashback cock block. Yeah, it's, uh, it's real weird. I I don't know. Uh, like, obviously, they're trying to set up a love triangle, but it's one of the clumsiest love triangles I've seen in a film. Yeah, and there's like there is something there about like you know uh, uh, Elrond dad bullying him about mm-hmm. like, look, you mortal, my daughter's immortal, and she'll be on the shores of of uh, Eternia or whatever. I can't remember the 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 Grey Havens. Um, Valinor, she's gonna she's gonna retire to the shores of Valinor, and you're not gonna fuck it up. This world is a shithole. It's about to be kicked in by like, no, don't do it. And our Aragorn's <laughs> like, well, I I love I love her, so yeah, I guess I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna emotionally throw rocks at her and tell her she has to go away. Yeah, that um, part sucks. But I I did like the fatherly speech that he gives the the wisdom he imparts to Arwen. Um, because because like it. You know, she is setting herself up for a lot of heartbreak in in the future, guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, and he's trying to convey the wisdom of, of a lifetime, right? Uh, yeah. An immortal lifetime spent understanding how these things work um, and what it means to be immortal. And he's trying to get that information into his daughter's head. But, you know, she's kind of blinded by the love. And it's like, you know, it's an open question. Do you take eternity without yeah. ever having that true love? Or do you, you know, you get another solid to like, like Elrond's not lying to her. No, this is her fate is straight from the appendixes of the books. Like, yeah, um, you know, Aragorn lived for like 200 more years and it was a golden age for Gondor. But eventually he diminished and he died and she still had many long years left because she's an elf. It's going to take her a lot longer to die. And she's like utterly bereft and lonely. But mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a lot like low key the the arrival, right? Like if you know what how it's going to end, yeah. do you still go through the the, the voyage? Uh, and it's yeah, it's pretty profound. Um, this this warg attack. Peter Jackson's was one thing he said he wasn't happy. It was a little bit too rushed. It's in broad daylight. The compositing wasn't great. On the other hand, it is a fun battle. Like Legolas, yeah. that slow motion, long range archery artillery is like archery porn and 
His one-handed mount of this horse is so Dude, redonkulous. I love it. That's one of my favorite effects in this entire film. And it's a it's entirely an Indian, you know, like in the Indiana Jones where he, he this guy mm-hmm. has this elaborate sword fight and him and Harrison Ford are going to have this like five minute battle. And then Harrison Ford got the stomach flu and ends up shooting him and it's iconic. Yeah. Peter Jackson had to do this because uh, the week he was supposed to film this, uh, the horse threw Orlando and broke his ribs. So he oh, couldn't like raise when... his. So Peter Jackson said, "Hey, can you do like some kind of flashy like CGI mounting?" And they came up with this. And God damn, it's I like, it. I yeah. Every time you get to see an elf doing elf shit is 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 pretty amazing. Yeah, it it sets uh, up you know the shit that he's gonna do in the third film, um, really yeah. well. It shows us the agility, right? And and you see it occasionally, but really he's more of a bow guy. But this is just straight up agility that is really cool. Right. And there's a scene of like Eowyn wanting to fight versus her dad being like, well, I got to trust my people as somebody. And arguably, this is the much bigger charge, like going and, and, and leading our people versus we might stay here and die. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's 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 kind of a nice moment. Um, and if the love if the love triangle had worked even a little bit, the scene of like like lingering scene that they give each other as like uh, Aragorn rides off to war. Like I thought that's a really great shot. It just, I didn't, I didn't buy it for a minute. So yeah. <laughs> um, I really like the exposition that they have of uh, Saruman and uh, Wormtongue kind of like planning like the stakes, like, like we don't know anything about Helm's deep. Right. And there's this kind of mission impossible shot of like, well, you got the wall and here's the weak point And, Wormtail doesn't know what he's doing, but we know that Saruman's just making black powder. And there's that like comic relief of like Wormtail leaning into the torch and Saruman being like, step the fuck back. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's also like, I thought it was a really effective scene when Saruman, you know, like, like Wormtongue's like, well, even with the wall breached, you would need an army of thousands, tens of thousands. And there's oh, no such army mean, like this army. Yeah. And Wormtongue's like single tear running down his cheek when like it becomes like, I think it's too real. Like, I don't know that he was really signed up for the death of all humanity, but he's like, see, I saw that as him uh, marveling at the beauty of this horrible thing. It it totally works that honestly. Yeah. Either way. way But I got kind of like, um, uh, you know, like, oh, God, I might have picked the wrong side, but it's too late now. Like sure, oh God, it's like yeah. I just wanted a Yowen, and now like I'm gonna fuck around and kill all of humanity. This is an extinction event. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a it's a it's an amazing scene. It works really well. Um, Aragorn gets Aragorn gets uh, rescued by his horse. Um, again, the writers of the film insist that if like like Aragorn needed this for reasons, like he needed something to like really solidify his. But, but I, I don't think it works in that way, right? Like, they needed some drama. They needed... His, like, like I, I don't know. They, they, what purpose does 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 Aragorn falling off this cliff and getting rescued by his horse and then dragging his ass back to Helm's Deep? Um, it shows him the huge army of the orcs, which he already knew is coming. Um, they say it's to, to kind of cement him as being, like, taking his role as the king seriously, but he kind of like spends the next 15 minutes of the film saying, oh my God, I'm shitting my pants. This is a lost cause. Why am I even here? I should be at Gondor. Um, I I don't know. Do they need him? Because doesn't he ride back and say the army's coming or? 
Yeah, but they knew it, right? Like they're going through the they're going to Helm's Deep for a reason. They knew I guess that I guess the they could imply were, that bad things are coming, but yeah, I can't maybe remember they who didn't told them initially like the, how big tens the army of was. Thousands. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 certainly Aragorn because he sees it in the in the film, but yeah, because you know it's Aragorn who's able to like crush the hopes or or attempt to crush the hopes of everyone there, right at Helm's Deep because oh, the army is way yeah. bigger than anyone could have expected, and being at Helm's Deep is actually potentially not going to save us. And, and there's this scene of Galadriel coming in to kind of narrate uh, again what's going on, which I guess came from a note because the New Line execs were getting Osgiliath and uh, 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 and, and, the, and the White City confused with Helm's Deep, and they needed like someone to come in and be like, all right, here's all the stakes for everybody, and here's where all the things are geographically. And it does work, too, because like you needed to sell the elves. Like They had to have this discussion where Galadriel's Talk to Elrond's like, look, are we going to let these men die or what? Yeah, yeah. You know? and Otherwise, them showing the- up doesn't make much sense. Yeah. And then Peter Jackson continually in the director's commentary name check Zulu, which we've seen mm. as an example of like this, these two sides and like the ramp up and the tension. Yeah. And, you know, um, which is, which Zulu is a, is, is, is a great example of that. It is, uh, <laughs> it is a little bit uncomfortable if you like to take these, you know, these these parallels too literally sure um and I, I imagine if peter listens to this commentary he kind of cringes out of his body at points but like this like 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 having like that this this doesn't happen in the books the elves don't come at the last minute but he had them because he wanted to show like this this the scene where the elves are um honoring their alliance and also the sacrifice of the elves because the elves don't have to die uh, yeah, they're dying to 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 uh, to to honor the the old alliances and when the days where men and elves were like brothers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives like, you know, like there's like this. He says it's like there's this rhythm to these battle sequences where you take away everybody's hope. And then it's it's still an insurmountable odds, but it, it gives an emotional boy right before the hammer falls where you're like, oh, maybe they actually can win. Yeah, you know, it like keeps that, it kindles that hope alive, and I think all that stuff works out great. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to point out uh, uh, something else, which is how hot Vigo Mortensen is when he comes back from the dead and pushes the doors open to Helm's Deep, and he's like sitting there, like middle frame. Like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine how many men and women like discovered their orientation at that <laughs> min- that that moment. Oh yeah, especially <laughs> if you're like. 13 14 right like yeah right oh my god holy <laughs> shit this dude um yeah damn uh but there's uh i, I don't know this it's it's just a great pace because like it's like aragorn kind of gives up hope and king theodon gives up hope and fucking the elf gives the the gives up hope and then there's this great scene which um i felt like i knew this but i've forgotten um aragorn gives this the scene to these two boys standing by a fire and the the ones the one boy is his Vigo Mortensen son and the other is the son of uh, Philippa one of the writers and I thought that was a nice little note that he's like giving like a you know like this this fatherly or maybe older brother speech to like hey you know like this is a shitty sword it's nicked up it's rusty yeah but he's putting on a good face so he's he's deciding to be the leader now and like you know if I tell this kid he's got a good sword he'll think he's got a good sword and he won't be so panchingly afraid it's it's great. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's a lot of reason to be afraid. Like, the scenes of just the kids suiting up for battle is kind of horrifying, right? If if you if you look at it as how desperate are the stakes here, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> this this scenario is not going the way they want. They're suiting up kids with armor. Some of yeah. them can barely hold swords. One of them is that great? gets an axe shoved into his hand and goes, uh, what is this? I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And there's these scenes of like men dragging like 13-year-old boys away from the mom. You can tell like he's too young. He's just a boy. And like even Legolas and Gimli are like, these people have all seen too many winters or too few. Right. And like it's yeah. like, yeah, these like 70-year-old men and 13-year-old boys uh, and like 60 dudes and I don't know, 300 elves are going to, they're going to hold against this. It's, it's really amazing. And there's a great Aragorn strapping up for war sequence. There's great gimp, so much comic relief from Gimli putting on, right. putting on the, the, the chain mail that goes down to his ankles. And <laughs> yeah, the only Legolas thing he's complaining like, about is a little tight in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, Legos offering to get him a box. And this is where their friendship really takes off because instead of being offended, he just laughs like, you know, they're yeah. literally becoming friends and, there's the competition that I think is a big like this is right out of the books where like Gimli thinks he's got like a healthy total and like Legolas, of course, has got double his kills. Yeah. Um, and then every once in a while you'll check back in like there's a sweeping helicopter shot of like Gimli standing at the top of like two ladders and he's just chopping 17, 18, <laughs> 19. It's like everyone is an orc head and it's so fucking badass. And. I mean, just the approach of these orcs in the rain, uh, like like that's like, you know, Theoden sitting there and everyone's like looking across this and then the rain starts and there's this kind of like Theoden's kind of like Jesus Christ, what else? And it is a little silly that the film almost gives you this idea that like if that old man hadn't lost his his knock on his bow, that like the orcs would just kind of. I don't know. Stand there for another week. Yeah. 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 But that gets the orcs really pissed up, pissed off, pissed up, pissed off in this battle. Yeah. I mean, what the whole thing. So in the books, is it, is it framed as like a battle in the rain? Because if not, this is adding a whole layer of difficulty to the shoot, right? Like, yeah, you got to bring in apparatus to, to rain down. And I saw the behind the scenes, how, you know, they do the movie thing where it's not really raining. They just spray a bunch of water on you. Bunch but of water, it, bunch of wind, but it really makes the scene look epic. And it like what few flaws there are in the compositing just get swallowed up in that inky blackness and yeah. all that water. But it's like, in fact, there's only one moment that's false in this whole thing. And it's Legolas surfing down a staircase on a shield. Uh-huh. Like, why? He's got so many amazing shots. Why? That, that looks dumb. It doesn't look real. It looks cowabunga. It looks Bart Simpson. <laughs> it looks cowabunga for sure. That's the only what? problem I have with it is it looks too cowabunga. Yeah, Tony Legolas Hawk here. I everything else is just just amazing. Yeah. Like you know, I love like how the big three have these like sui- like all, they all have mutual like these suicidal efforts to save each other. You know, like uh, Aragorn's about to be taken out after the wall explodes and Gimli just jumps off like the top rope into like 15 orcs and he's about to go down. So Aragorn orders the uh, elves to shoot past him and like the arrows just barely miss him. And uh, like the way those guys um, come out to save the, uh, 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 the the door to the main keep. And like like Gimli and Aragorn on this like little causeway hold off like a 300 style, all these orcs, everything just looks and like I, I love how like the orcs all advance with their shields held up to the gate and then the, you know, like protecting them from arrows and then the battering ram runs up through the middle and you can see it kind of rippling through the crowd. It's like there's so many of these shots and they all look so good. 
Um, yeah, and the they're the way that they're you know producing waves of orcs. Um, like you know you you get a you get the archers kind of taken out orcs by the dozens uh, at the very beginning, mm-hmm. but then they get the ladders right, and they start to get overwhelmed right. at the at the top of the wall um and then you know the orcs overwhelm and and break through the castle walls and then they're pushing back to the keep and the door and and every every stage of this is further ramping up the emotional stuff like like you were saying with these characters jumping in to save each other um it's it's just it's ratcheting up that tension at every stage to the point where at the end, it's such a relief when Gandalf shows up right and and Eomer Mm. comes in behind him and you just know that the day is, if at least not, if not completely saved, then at least there's going to be a fair fight here. Yeah. And Gandalf and at this point is so powerful that you you assume that, okay, they've won the battle. The way this momentum works, like Peter Jackson got so many of these tricks. Like he said that his philosophy for cutting this particular battle is like, I never wanted more than two or three shots before you went back and you saw Aragorn or you saw Legolas, or you saw Gimli, because we had hours of shots of extras and all that kind of stuff. But, like, he knows that, like, without stakes, without faces, without, like, you know, seeing, like, these hero shots, that you could get lost and just be this endless kind of muddy mess. So if you keep count, it's like, it's, it's almost like clockwork. Like, you'll see you know, an orc pulling off a dude off a thing. And then you'll see some guy take an ax to the crotch. And then it's, it's, uh, it's Legolas splitting some dude with an arrow. Um, you, you like all these things that. that, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like he's got a philosophy and he, it fucking worked, you know? And the temptation, like I, I've just spent millions of dollars, like setting up all these miniatures and these sets and the CG effect. And I, God damn it. I want to use it, but yeah. to have the restraint to actually not use that and tell a better story because of it is very respectable. Yeah, I love it. And then, like you said, there's like, um, you, you remember you back to like Gandalf saying, I'll be at the sunrise of the third mm-hmm. or whatever day. And then you see the sun breaking through that window and Aragorn's like, come on, just like one more ride out. And that ride out is fucking epic. Yeah. Then like busting through their horses through these seas of orcs and, and then, like, the epic scene of Gandalf arising and Theoden stands alone and then Aomer's there, not alone. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is just a fucking painting. Them char- the charge of the Rohirrim down this hill. Yeah. Gandalf using his spell to blind the orcish pikemen. And then they just fucking win the day. And, like, uh, and they also, it, it uh, ties into us Gilead and Sam's epic speech about what's worth living. And as that thing takes an emotional upturn, you see the scenes of, like, Gandalf laughing in battle because it's a super fun now that everyone's going to live and you can just kill all these orcs. <laughs> um, like everybody, like the relief that they're going to save all these people. Um, it's great. But yeah, like, the, yeah, the, I mean, the, the relief here um, after the climax of this into the data or whatever um, is really seamless. I, I think it works all maybe better than the first movies. Because, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's like there almost isn't a dividing line between like they've won the day and the, I'm now telling you what's going to happen in the next movie or, or here, here's what's going on going into the next movie. Yeah. And like, you know, like it's like there's Theoden, like he gives us like almost suicide poem when he's getting geared up. And then, you know, the now for wrath and now for ruin, like God, Theoden's got some like the all time military pump up speeches. Um, mm-hmm. and also, oh shit, we're going to die speeches. And he gives another get good one ne- in the next movie too. Um, 
But they also, there's like a lot of little filmmaking details. Like Peter Jackson realized that they messed up and didn't shoot the hero reactions to Gandalf's arrival. Oh, no. So he literally took like a random scene of like uh, Aragorn looking up uh, and, and to the to the to the sky and like some kind of reaction and took the him saying Gandalf from a, another part and digitally composed just to like again cutting room stuff uh, the, to get the pacing just right to get so those 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 beats land just perfectly for the audience. Um, and then yeah, that's the uh, line um, at the very end, you know, where they're all standing on the wall having won the battle, and Gandalf says uh, the the battle of Helm's Deep has ended. The battle for for Middle Earth is about to begin. It just that's perfect, right? Because this is a second movie in the trilogy. the The scale of it is already insane. This Helm's Deep battle is so fucking huge, yeah. and then him saying that makes you think what What is the third movie going to do that blows me away beyond this? Because that's that's another whole you know scale to it. Like Middle Earth yeah. is is everything, right? They've just been focused on this one location. And the amazing thing is like in the theater, there's not a single person alive that thinks that they're not going to be able to ramp up those stakes because these, yeah. these two, you just went through these two movies and they're a fucking experience, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, there is an extra scene that I don't know why they didn't put because like it's it's the great, it's a nice coda to the competition between Gimlis, Gimli and Legolas that Gimli's sitting on top of an orc with its axe, his axe embedded in his head. And he's just saying to Legolas, like, what's your number? And he had, I think one more than Legolas. So Legolas takes his bow and shoots the orc that he's sitting on in the head. And <laughs> oh, Gimli's no. like, that was my kill. And Legolas said he was still twitching. And then he grabs the axe and wiggles it. And he goes, it's because my axe was embedded into his central nervous system. And the orcs like flop it around. Oh, I, it's, it's silly, but I think, I think it's hilarious. They should have put it in. They should have put it in. I needed to know who won the, the battle. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the other thing stuff we can talk about is the Mary Pippin tree birds, tree beard stuff, which talked about a lot. I already of it, think, and a lot of it I is talked about the, the best talk, part. Right? Yeah, and a lot of it is like there's a lot of extra scenes about the poetry, about him talking about the int wives. Uh, there's an extra scene of Mary and Pippin drinking this int draft, which is the the book explanation that they actually grow several inches. They're they're large. They're, this is like a magical brew that the ints drink to get big and strong. And the hobbits drink and they they end up when they go back to Shire, they're like Omega hobbits. They're like a half the head fuck? taller. And, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. There's this whole scene of him that they're competitively drinking to try to get those extra inches onto them. Boy. Um, and it's it's also it goes into like um it is homage to the Tom Bombadil stuff. You you remember us talking about how they cut all that from the first uh, uh, uh movie because it just doesn't totally fit. Yeah. They have that old man Willow attack them in this scene and Treebeard come and essentially do all the lines that Tom Bombadil did to like put old man Willow to sleep and demonstrate that he's a shepherd of the tree. Uh, sh- but again, it's this movie. This, the, the, the extended cut of this is four hours long. Yeah. So, you know, some of these scenes are great, but like you, you kind of do have to cut them. Um, the Entmoot. Entmoot's a great scene. Had a great set. Uh, it's a great concept. Uh, the slow pace, there's like three more scenes of them remarking about how like, oh, we just got done saying good morning. Oh, we just got done exchanging everyone's names. Oh, and it's like, yeah, it's all funny and droll, but um, I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. And, and Peter Jackson, this again uh, in the books, the ends have a sober discussion, decide that, hey, it's, we need to throw our, our ourselves in with the battle of the living things in Middle Earth or we'll get swept here. The, el- the elves do this isolationist thing and I don't, I guess 
I guess it works because Pippin, this is like when Pippin starts to become an adult because this yeah, whole movie, like this. Mary, Mary kind of matured faster than him and he's like taking this much more seriously and mm-hmm. Pip's getting, he's getting more and more frustrated with Pip and then Pip is the one at the end that has the, you know what, we need to, we need to show this guy the stakes for him yeah. to, 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 to believe it. Um, and they're risking their own lives to do it, right? Setting them down right there is a very dangerous thing. Like if this doesn't work, well, now they've just well, the closer to themselves. danger to further further from harm, though, you know, <laughs> I don't buy it, frankly. And I don't yeah, think yeah, Pippin yeah, yeah. does. I don't think Mary does. Yeah. But they, they, they've they set these two beautifully up for their next arc in the next movies where they became they become hobbits of war. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. The attack on Isengard, we talked about like how I this was one of the things I was most looking forward to see because it was such a striking moment in the books. It's such a badass concept. These trees just coming there and kicking ass and they did such a great job. And there's these, you know, like I, I like how they set an int on fire and he comes flying in at the end to put his hair out. <laughs> yeah. When they've released the water. Yeah. That's great. And that dam breaking also, if you like, there's a whole 15 minutes thing on how they did that. And like, what a mm-hmm. huge, you know, they just built a big ass. I mean, it's, it's a miniature, it's a big ass dam and they blew it up uh and it it looks it looks amazing and uh it's really a great way to show this the uh like the nature kind of fighting back and reclaiming the the, it's it's primacy in the world so Mm -hmm. uh and then there's also like one final extra scene of um this uh post flooding where the hobbits are discovering that saruman is secretly even though he's judging Gandalf about his pipe weed habit that he's got like stacks and stacks of the fine. He's been stealing the, 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 the Shire's finest and he's got all this food and drink and tobacco stored for just him alone. And the, the hobbits are just smoking it up. They're Snoop dogging it up in this shit like and it's fun, but Soviet Russia. Soviet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, some, some Saruman are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, that's it. Uh, it's a two and a half hour podcast. Uh, again, like I, I think you can tell. Like if 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 I say this is the weakest of the Lord of the Rings, what does that even fucking mean? This yeah. is an excellent film, and uh, I really I really enjoyed watching it. Um, like I said, that's that Sam speech. Uh, I mentioned this in the first one, like uh, Gandalf's uh pep talk to to Frodo about like you know what do we what do we do with the time we have left. Uh, we don't we don't get to choose how much time we have. We just get to choose what we do with it. I thought this is a nice bookmark or bookend to that of like, why do you why do you keep fighting in the face of futility? Um, Sam's got some good answers, you know, and even with some it makes s- a hell of a story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, even with some saggy spots uh, in this film, I think the, the, the three hour runtime feels much shorter than it sounds. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like the uh, Helm's Deep might be the best set piece in all of the movies. Yeah, it's really um, good. And the stuff that they do, like you know, I think we take it for granted just how utterly I f- always forget. I get caught up just like I do when I'm watching Yoda and Empire. Like I forget that this is like a fake thing, and yeah. it just becomes utterly like you just get lost in the performance. There's nothing there to distract you from the fact that like, oh, Sam and Frodo aren't talking to anything. They're talking because they were they were talking to a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he really breathed that, uh, that performance of life. So <sighs> I feel like I've been on a, a long journey with, uh, the, yeah. with the hobbits. Um, I would like to once again, thank our commissioner, Epic Mouthful. Uh, I hope, uh, you got what you were looking for out of this movie. 
Uh, I hope the community enjoyed the the gift uh, that you gave to them and and, and us and our, and yourself as much as we did. Because like I said, I I goddamn I love I love these movies and uh, it feels good to get like uh, I think pretty good coverage for all these um, under the bald move banner. And we'll be back in just a few more weeks because again, Epic Mouthful did back to back to back commission on this or back to back commission. Mm. Um, Please no one do the hobbits. It's not going to go. It's not. No, gonna go well. I hate those movies. Despise. Yeah, them. I, I will. I will. I will talk at length about how much I hate them and how what a bummer it is that Peter Jackson debased himself and how what a bummer it was for New Zealand, and their economy and the harm it did to the film. Like it's it's just going to be shitty. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, but we do have the return of the king, which is which is a goodie. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my favorite one uh, in the weeks to come. I think it might be my favorite. All right. We'll be back here. We'll be back here to talk about it until that next time comes. uh, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See you next time.